2: Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, August 21st, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer.
3: Good day.
2: Miss Stephanie Cook. Hey. And joining us, filling in for Steve Say, who is in Canada at the moment, Mr. Joey Braccino. Howdy. Joey. What, what's what's that energy? What was, what was that?
0: What, what energy?
2: Howdy. Howdy. Yeah. Right, okay. before we started recording you were all chipper we were talking about Canadian racism and now you're you're like hey what's going on i'm just
0: Yeah man just, i got to i got to keep the character you know
2: <laughs> you, you have kind a character
0: of Yeah
2: I didn't know you had a character Joy
0: I mean um, i wrote it myself
2: <laughs> This is Joy Bacino cool guy <laughs> Hey, man, what are we talking about, comics? No, I think I I was
0: watching Blues Brothers this morning, and that's where the howdy came from, if I had to guess. Gotcha,
2: okay. Um, So, Joey, thank you so much for joining us uh, and filling in for Steve. How you been, man? I've been good, I've been good. Gearing up for school, school starting
0: in September, so, you know, doing lesson planning, reading, uh, doing summer reading. I don't know if you guys remember doing that, but teachers have to do that, too, so.
2: What have you been Uh, reading?
0: Uh, we, we got a bunch of books that, that um, we have to read because the kids are reading it, too. One of them is called How to Read Literature Like a Professor. If
1: that's <laughs> not, uh,
0: if that's not um, intelligent, I don't know what is. But uh, the kids have to read that, so I'm brushing up on it, too, so that when they come and ask me questions, I don't
3: sound like a fool.
4: <laughs> you can just say, how the hell am I supposed to know? It's not on my reading list. Read it
3: yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Read the book. You tell me what it's yeah. about. You tell yeah. me,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, I spin that all the time. You know, it's hard to remember all the books, so a lot of times you just got to be like, refresh my memory. That's <laughs> read a good a book one. Report. Yeah, I is heard the that in question? school a lot.
2: I I didn't know that was a trick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I'm like behind the scenes right now. Yeah, if the teacher says, you know, well, what do you think? It's because they have to go back into their brain and remember themselves. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what the red badge of courage is really about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I panic inside of my brain yeah, yeah. and try to remember what happened in that one mm. chapter.
2: The l- little inside scoop. It's really the inside scoop of, of growing up and becoming an adult across the board is you have no idea what the hell you're doing about 90% of the time. Yeah. You you always think when you're a kid that you, you talk about an adult. They seem like they know, know what they're doing. Nope. They're just faking it.
3: Making it up a as liars. a goal. Yep. Yeah.
2: They're all liars because that's all I do. I just fake it. <laughs> All you really learn is how to cope with panic, is, exactly. what, is what you really do. Yeah. I don't know how to do that.
3: <laughs> no, I got someone a birthday card once, and inside it was another year older, another year closer to making up stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly. You get better at bullshitting, is yeah. what you get better at doing. Um, I learned how to get, like, sometimes my little cousins, they ask me questions about what is this and what does this mean. And sometimes I usually use, like, part of what I know, and I kind of just, you know, stretch it <laughs> to make it seem like I know more. So, yeah, so that's another... My cousins
4: know not to ask me that kind of stuff. They're just like, read me a book, lady. <laughs>
0: that's how they talk?
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow. They talk like
0: yeah. 40s gangsters.
2: <laughs> read yeah. me a book, lady. I'm six, one, three. one's three. Yeah. You know, whatever. We, we should They're get really them on
3: chill. the next uh, comic reading radio play. Yeah, yeah I
1: know. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, they're, they're
4: all
3: really
2: got pinstripe suits and fedoras on. Yeah.
4: <laughs> oh my God, now I want to buy them those things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be adorable. Let's be honest; those really kind would. of things on kids are always adorable. Um, so that's the les- first lesson of talking comics is that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. So on to us talking with yeah. authority Bob. about about Sofia Bob. <laughs> uh, let's let's start out here uh, with a little box office. We going not do a lot of box office. We're not going to talk about those of you wondering if we're going to review Kick Ass Two. Uh, which is our norm. We are not. Uh, uh, mainly because I did not see it. I don't think... And I hope Bob saw it. So Bob's mm-hmm. going to give his thoughts on it. But um, the we talk about the box office. And this is part of the reason why maybe, you know, it wouldn't be smart to do a whole show about it. Uh, it came in at number five uh, this weekend Ooh. at $13.3 wow. million. Um, 4000 per screen average. Uh, it's only a $28 million budget. So it'll probably end up making back its money. But... Uh, it opened, I think, like 30% less than Kickass 1, which opened itself disappointingly when it opened at $19 million, $19.8 million or something like that a couple of years ago, three years ago. So it, it does not seem bright for the future of, of Kick-Ass. Um, Bob, you saw the movie. Yep. Uh, give us your, your quick review.
3: Quick review is I saw it at a $5 matinee, and that's kind of what it's worth. Mm. Um, what's really interesting, the leads are all very good. Jim Carrey who I don't particularly care for, is, is really good in this movie. Everyone's given important things to do and mm-hmm. human life lessons and character flaws and so on. And it sadly takes away from the loopy fun of it. And then when ultra-violent things happen, they're not as much fun anymore. They're too grounded in high school drama and other things to have the other bit of it that was so releasing before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's now creepy to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it really took me out of the picture
2: got this. so making by making it more real for you the violence became less uh i guess palatable. Yes, cuz it absolutely. was less of a cartoon. Um yeah, I mean because especially in the first movie which I love the the first movie uh it's a little girl, you know, shooting people and, and oh, th- there is running
3: down that hallway to bad reputation is classic.
2: Yeah, exactly. So the the fact that it is so loopy it separates you enough so you don't it doesn't feel weird, but I guess you're saying the second right. one um do- doesn't hit that well, that there's mark.
3: A, there's a fight in an alley uh where she's uh hit girl setting up something. I don't want to give too much away here. Uh but she chops some guy's hand off after he complains about you're going to chop my hand off. Mm-hmm. And she does and it's just ugh. Mm-hmm. I I already knew I was in for not a fun afternoon. Yeah. And it, it is a shame that there when I saw the review, our local paper gave it a very good 3-star review, which okay. And the very things he pointed out that he liked, oh, we see them in high school and we see all this sort of, sort of stuff, which I generally like in movies, mm-hmm. not in this one, mm-hmm. It just threw me for a loop. It's like, oh, maybe I'm out of my league here trying to think about this. But the more people I talk to, have seen it, feel as I do. That there's something missing. There's something not right in this mixture this time. I guess it's Matthew Vaughn having written and directed the first one. Well,
2: Jane mm-hmm. Goldman wrote it um who's kind uh, of they, his they partner. co-wrote, they co-wrote yeah. it yeah, yeah. so th- that team is missing from the the, the picture there uh, on that movie uh, S- uh Stephanie and Joe neither of you saw it right no mm-hmm. okay i had
4: like a screening pass but i wasn't able to go so yeah. mm.
2: do you have any interest in seeing the movie
4: uh Stephanie yeah i do i really like the first one and um the reviews have been really all over the place for me i know people who loved it and thought it was such a perfect follow-up, and I know people who loathed it. So, mm-hmm. um, again, in my experience, it's just always better to find out those mm-hmm. things yourself. Mm-hmm. I might wait until home video, which really, I don't even know why I said home video. I mean, VHS, <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyways, but like, I might wait until it comes out on DVD to kind of check it out, but I still want to see it.
2: Yeah, me too. I haven't seen it yet either, and I, I, I do want to see it, but I I think that the... You know, before I even heard reviews of it, I wasn't frothing at the mouth to go see it, even though I loved that first movie. And I think that might be the issue more than the reviews with the movie. Maybe it's just that I think a lot of us really liked that first movie. But I I, I didn't, after the movie was over, I didn't feel like I really want to see a second one. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that it said all it needed to say, and I loved it as a its own little piece of, um, you know, pop pop art and you know, far for me to say what other people want, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, people want a sequel. That's great. And they got it. And I think this movie will end, eventually end up making its money back on yeah. one time it hits DVD or, you know, VHS, if, if you're yeah. Stephanie.
1: <laughs> uh, and in Canada.
2: <laughs> yeah. And in Canada. Uh, so there's that. But I don't know, Joey, what about you? Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, I mentioned in the live stream on Friday that I was rewatching watching Kick-Ass over the weekend because uh, my girlfriend hadn't seen it, and um, we were interested in seeing the sequel. We just didn't get around to it, and I, and I kind of agree with you that there wasn't that kind of overwhelming urge to see it, um, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it was it was pushed hard in marketing, I feel. There's, you know, ads all over the place and, and on TV, too. Um, so I, I'm kind of surprised. I didn't know it came in at fifth. I thought it came in just, just behind uh lee daniels the (laughs) butler um which is a star-studded cast in its own right but um, i didn't know it it, it was that low down on the on the rankings
2: yeah it's maybe it was
4: higher up internationally
2: i don't even if it it, i don't think even opened internationally but i'm not sure i don't even know i don't Um, even know
0: if kick-ass would sell internationally really well yeah
2: yeah um i feel
0: like
4: using some google food
2: that's what i'm doing right now (laughs) um it's funny, in International, and this is this is in Stephanie's wheelhouse, uh, Pacific Rim has actually made more in China than the Avengers did. I love it! It's so good! <laughs> yeah, Stephanie loves... Um, There's, oh, it's so
4: awesome! Somebody posted this, like, you know, fan art of what they thought should come after the credits, mm-hmm. and now, like, in my mind, it's just... It's there. That has happened. <laughs> I want this to have happened. <laughs> I'll, I'll post a link to it somewhere. I actually posted a link to it on Twitter, but it's so amazing and it's so perfect. And for anyone who's seen it, you'll like go through it and be like, yep, I accept this.
2: Mm-hmm. True story. Hmm. Um, ass two made, has made, it made 6 million foreign. Oh,
0: well, so no, did it, did it open wide foreign or was it just select markets?
2: Um, that information I don't have in front of me, Joey, I don't have, I don't have the, uh, the markets in which it opened, uh, you know, internationally, I'm sure it wasn't as wide as, let's say, you know, something like the Avengers or something like that. Yeah, or Iron Man three or something. Iron Man three, yeah, I'm sure it's not. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure the theater of the the breadth of its opening. I'm actually gonna check uh, what the first Kickass did uh, worldwide to see if that's kind of. I think it, that did do well worldwide, and that's kind of what made the, the yeah, it made as much foreign as it made domestic. So it ended up making forty. The, the first one made forty eight million. Domestically, Mm -hmm. and it made forty-eight million foreign. So it made ninety-six million, and on on kind of the 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 budget that it had, which was only thirty million, uh, that was prompted the sequel. So, so
4: also just quickly too, it's only opened. um, I mean, it opened in U.S., it opened in Canada, it opened in uh, like a few European countries, Mm -hmm. but it actually opens everywhere else pretty well um, tomorrow. Okay, today time travel (laughs) today (laughs) (laughs) today. Uh, the 21st. It opens, like, 21st, 22nd, 23rd pretty well everywhere else, and then hits, like, Kazakhstan in September.
0: I'll be interested to see how it, it fares in, like, the Asian markets or something, as opposed to, like, you know, Britain and Canada and, and America. Because I just feel like compared to something like Iron Man 3 or Pacific Rim, I feel, I don't know if Kick-Ass, I don't know. I don't know how Kick-Ass would read. Yeah. Uh in those cultures, that sounds weird, but, you know.
2: No, no, because, I mean, it's very, you know, the, the Kickass is very much a deconstruction uh, of American, you know, pop culture mm-hmm. and American superhero comics. So, it, I don't know if that kind of satire plays as well right. in uh, other places, but who knows? The first one did well, so... Who knows how it's gonna do in, yeah. in in their markets?
4: I saw it being filmed. Like it was filmed in Toronto, and like last year during the summer and stuff, you could walk around and see them filming it like everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah, and That's like the cool. first one too. They just keep on passing the store I was working at over and over again. I'm like, they're literally just going in a circle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and I love Chloe Grace Moretz, yeah. uh, uh, you know, mm. and everything, and especially in that in that first Kick Ass. So I would, I'm really gonna see it. I would see it just for her performance alone. So. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to still see it, but yeah, it's not, it's lower than I expected, but not that much lower than I yeah. expected with, with its opening. Um, uh, moving on, uh, uh, we have a little bit of story here, uh, actually next week. So you guys know we're it, our women in comics week is happening and we have a couple of really great shows lined up for you guys. Um, we've got a discussion, uh, a wonder woman discussion, um, w- which features Greg Rucca and Trina Robbins among other folks. Um, we've got an interview uh, with Andrea Letimendi, uh, uh It's awesome. She, you know, she, uh, Arkham Asylum doc on Twitter. It's great to hear kind of that perspective. And we have a discussion with uh, Emma Rios and Kelly Sue DeConnick about Pretty Deadly a- a- and their process together. And this next story kind of goes along with, with we're talking about with with Kelly Sue. Um, it seems that in November, the November solicits have come out, and two books are not included in those solicits: uh, Venom and Captain Marvel. Are, are not included in November's solicits. And th- this led to of speculation that the books were canceled. Uh, I don't know what's going on on the Venom side, but somebody reached out to Kelly Sue on Twitter uh, and said, please tell me Captain Marvel isn't canceled. Uh, no November solicitation makes me very sad. Maybe there's something big in store. And Kelly Sue only responded, there's something big in store. Um, so it seems like it's safe. It's not going away. Uh, Bob, what do you think
3: this means? Uh I'd hate to think they're just gonna renumber it, but you never know for a quick sales booth. Maybe they have to call it Avengers, Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe and just rename it that way. But yeah. Kelly Sue has been very open about, you know, getting people to read the book and where it stands sales number wise. The the event seems to have done a little bit of good. You know, mm-hmm. the numbers are slightly better than they were. So more than likely there'll be some other cross-pollination where we put this book with something else or maybe some guest starring things are going to happen to give it just a, uh, another higher profile perhaps coming off the Infinity event mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, leapfrogging from that
2: yeah o- what do you think Joey
0: I mean I don't know when, when I saw that I, I didn't I saw the solicits and I saw Captain Marvel wasn't on there and I kind of went back and I was like oh maybe I just skipped over the title and I didn't think that much of it until I went on Twitter and the world had exploded <laughs> and everyone was like what's happening to Captain Marvel um Maybe I don't know what it is, maybe some big storyline. It might just be, you know, the art's taking a little bit longer. A lot of books in the fall got pushed a couple of weeks and maybe they just wanted to hold back on the solicit until they're sure they have it lined up. I don't know. I'm I don't think and I think Kelly Sue's tweet kind of put it put the kibosh on it, but I don't think there's any reason to panic. Um I don't I don't I doubt they would renumber it. Um, especially since they're only at what, twelve or thirteen? Mm, yes. Um, I think they might just be playing it safe and, and spacing out the schedule a little bit more
2: um, mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Actually there are in 15. I think issue 15 comes out mm-hmm. next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, what do you think Stephanie?
4: I think that if they cancel it, they're going to have um, a shitstorm like the Gail Simone situation. <laughs> I think um, Marvel, if they are indeed planning to cancel it, they're really underestimating the, you know, steam that this book has gathered and they're going to have to deal with some seriously pissed off fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as one of the few books out there that's not made solely for women, but especially speaks to a lot of women, like, they'd be seriously making a big mistake numbers or not.
2: Yeah, weird. I mean, I, I I think I know it's weird for a book that's at number 15 or 17 by the time we get to this point. To be renumbered, I honestly think that's what they 're going to do hmm. I, I think they're going to marvel now it. I think that the book came out right before that happened, and I think you you see a lot of books that premiered around that time uh, or were st- or just in the middle of running that time having trouble getting that tick up that a lot of the Marvel books did that that got the, the new number mm-hmm. one you know it 's a shame that you have to go back to number one for that, but I think that 's what 's going to happen. I think they're going to relaunch it Captain Marvel number one, Marvel now. Like, everybody jump on, you can come on, let's do this. Um, And I I don't think that it will give it a big pop. I I really, really do. I think she's obviously heavily featured in Infinity. um, And I I think that with those crossovers as well, you're going to see a lot of bleed there. And I think they're going to want to take advantage of of that crossover and really make it, uh, really hit it big. Um, That's what I think anyway. I I don't think a storyline or rebranding it Avengers Captain Marvel is, is a thing that's big enough. To, to, to boost the sales up mm-hmm. higher than they are because I think right now what you have is you have this um, you have this rabid fan base and this dedicated fan base who really really love that book and I think that maybe they've told a lot of people about the book, but maybe they told them about it and it was already on issue five or six. And they're just M- middle of a storyline. Middle line, of a storyline. You know, people, way, what happens with life? You just you have a moment where you're going to grab something, and if it's not there, you kind of pass it by and you're going to forget about it. And I think that relaunching the big number one gives that opportunity and gives it a zeitgeist again. It gives it, it's here, it's happening, it's, it's huge. Like, this is a new number one. It's, look at this art. Look, the writing is great. You know, so I, I think that's what you're going to see. Um, they did it with the Captain America book <clears throat> when the Marvel
0: Now thing happened. I think Brew Baker's was up to what, sixteen or seventeen? Yeah, the, yeah, the new numbering. Yeah, and they and they re- relaunched it the the week after. Do you think that they would? Um, change the, the premise of the book at all maybe give her like captain marvel and somebody or anything or do you think they just relaunch it captain marvel volume four or whatever
2: i think that's what they do it volume four because uh, i yeah. think they're gonna start pushing her I, th- I i think similar to what's going on with guardians of the galaxy i think they're gonna start pushing her kind of pan media you know hmm. i think that you're gonna start seeing a push for her in the movies and in the and she's well, already showing up in the cartoons so i think you're gonna get some yeah. of that
3: well there have been rumors that Carol would appear, if not yeah. Captain Marvel, in, yeah. one the, in one of the next movies yeah. in a civilian guise, even maybe before becoming a hero.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, Stephanie.
4: Just to be safe, everyone who's buying Captain Marvel, buy two Captain <laughs> Marvels. You know, one for yourself, one for your friend. Just, just buy lots of them. You want your book yeah. to stay around, buy it.
2: Yeah, lots um, of them. And I mean, the same can be said. I think. I think. I don't think you're seeing a, the Venom title going away either. I think that yeah. will also be getting a new number one. It's actually, I read in the story, it's at number 42. Um, and except for like, you know, X-Factor, which is obviously in the huge numbers, it's like one of Marvel, it's Marvel's like highest numbered book.
1: Wow. <laughs> at yeah, 42 yeah. right
2: now, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see that getting number, number one. And the uh, same thing happened with Avengers Arena as well. Uh, there's no solicitor in November, but the way Dennis Hopeless has talked about that book, he said it's going to be in seasons. So the idea is, I, he's, this is, exactly, but that there'll be a season two of it, you know, with the new, with the the Marvel Now 2 stuff that's going to be mm-hmm. coming back.
3: And which, as you mentioned X-Factor, I think yeah. that's what's going to what happen there. Yes, yeah. Which is thankful. Well, yeah. I'm very thankful for that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think you'll definitely see that. I think you'll see X-Factor number one, Marvel Now, and, you know, obviously I don't think it's, it's not going to be Peter David anymore, which he, he's talked about pretty much being done with mm-hmm. that book and the stories he had to tell, but It'll be nice to, to have that book be number one again, and 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 Bob and I were talking this kind of off off air, and we'll we'll definitely talk about this. You know, the, the, probably the biggest story of the week that happened. Marvel has been pretty good at marrying its writers, its teams to its titles, so hopefully we'll get someone similar to Peter writing uh, X Factor. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking We'll we'll wrap up the solicits uh, Right here with Marvel In November as well We got no Ultimate comics In November Hmm. They're instead replaced uh, uh, By um, Cataclysm Which is An event In the the, uh, (laughs) Which Everyone is pretty much Agreeing is going to Going to be the end uh, Of um, The end of the Ultimate universe You know it's it's a main book called Cataclysm with offshoot miniseries with, with the characters. And the the belief is Miles will be the one who survives that and comes into the main universe. And then who knows what happens to their characters. Uh, Joey, we talked a little bit on the live stream, but people who didn't listen to Brood and Boardhead, what do you think about this?
0: Um, I'm not surprised. I mean, I... I started reading comics around when the ultimate universe was really taking off and the original Bendis run on ultimate, well, original, he's still doing it. The ultimate Spider-Man stuff and the ultimate X-Men stuff, um, it was really, really fantastic, but the last couple of years, the way that Marvel's been running their main line of books, it's accomplished a lot of the things that that ultimate universe was originally made for. So I'm not surprised that this cataclysm thing is happening, um... I will be surprised if, if it isn't the end of the Ultimate Universe and if they kind of s- spin something else out of it, maybe sort of an MC2 or Secondary Universe type deal just to keep going on with a couple of books. But um, as long as the story's good and, and it kind of goes out with a big bang, unlike when they tried to do the Ultimatum stuff a few years ago, I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not?
2: What do you think, Stephanie?
4: I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really have anything invested in this. Ultimate stuff, so. Well,
2: what do you think about them keeping the Miles Morales Spider-Man and bringing him into, into the main Marvel Universe?
4: I think that could work, and I think it could be interesting. Um, I've only really read a little bit of his, you know, story via, what was, um, uh, I read the first, like, two or three issues of,
2: What's, what, is it Ultimate? Is uh, it just uh, Ultimate, 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 Ultimate Spider-Man? Ultimate Comic Spider-Man, yeah, and there's also, did you read any of the Spider-Man miniseries? That was great.
4: No, I picked it up, okay. and I kind of intended to read it after I read more of Ultimate <laughs> Spider-Man. I am, like, really behind on Marvel stuff, guys. <laughs> like, really behind, except for X-Factor. I'm, like, way ahead on that.
2: You're way
1: ahead. By ahead, ahead of, I mean. Yeah. Wow. In the future. I, I know. Oh, in the future. I know I what
2: know. happens.
4: I got nothing. <laughs> um, it'd be cool. I like Miles, so... Um, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to him being kind of taken into the main universe. But other than that, I mean, I don't really know enough about the ultimate stuff to be like, yeah, or
2: boo. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It could be a fun storyline to see miles and Otto Spidey face off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing too, is it's a very kind of cyclical thing here because Bendis and Bagley, Bagley are doing this event and they're the ones who created that universe with right. ultimate Spider-Man yeah. back in the day. So, uh, it should be, I mean, the guys who created it are going to take it out. It could be cool. You know, who knows?
3: Well, he has some interesting things to say. I saw today where mm-hmm. people were asking him about the leaks, about the end of this universe, mm-hmm. and, and he said quite poignantly, well, I can't say yes, and I can't deny it because either way, these people get the ink they want. <laughs> and they they win either way, no matter what I say. If mm-hmm. I deny it, well, he's just denying it. If I say yes, well, even if it's no, it's yes. And he was really having grief with all the whole process. It used to yeah. be fun to let people discover it as you wrote it, as opposed yeah. to what's going on now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. And one thing that I've never I want to do something happy, something you know, good news. Phil Jimenez is is drawing uh, Savage Wolverine Ooh. in November. So that's a pretty cool thing. I believe he's yeah he's. Uh, He's writing and drawing the, uh, an arc on Savage Wolverine. So that is, that's, that's it's a pretty cool thing. It's cool to see him at Marvel. And it's cool to see him doing some Wolverine work. Yeah. Um, but the biggest Marvel news, and <laughs> we've buried the lead long enough, uh, Matt Fraction is leaving Fantastic Four and FF. The workload from you know his indie titles, Hawkeye, and especially Inhumans in Humanity, which is coming up. Uh, in the future has led him to have to, to drop those books. Uh, we will be seeing uh, sc- them scripted by him for the next few issues, but after that, his name will be o- well, off the books
3: as far as we know. Now, now, Bob, who are the writers taking over for him? Uh, well, we have Lee Aldred, mm-hmm. Michael's brother, yeah. uh, doing FF, uh, who's apparently only done novels. If he has done some comic mm-hmm. work, I'm unaware of it. Mm-hmm. One has to think there's a very interesting, funny gene in the (laughs) all-reds, so we'll we'll figure that'll go fairly well, especially if it's already been pre-plotted out, and we'll see how that goes. Carl Kessel's an industry veteran, has been around years and years and years, and has written some Fantastic Four. He did dialogue over other people's scripts, Carlos Pacheco, back in the early 2000s, including the issue where Valeria is born. He's in charge of that. Um, Did two issues uh, a couple of years later, uh, where he's the person who reveals Ben Grimm is Jewish, which was completely his story. Uh, and uh, most brilliantly, there's a 40th wedding anniversary special that came out in 2005. And it's a story called A Life Fantastic. It's Reed and Sue celebrating their wedding anniversary in a between the dimensions world where all the different versions of Reed and Sue meet to have a party. <laughs> And it's just touching and beautiful and romantic and all the things that if you want someone writing Fantastic Four, this guy does have that emotional chip to play.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Whether he gets to hold on this book, I don't know. We were talking about before, I think Marvel's going to want a name Mm -hmm. on this book just because that does seem to be the way they head with a signature title like this. Who that name could be, there are... I don't know. I had someone suggest to me Peter David would be pretty good for this book. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I think that could work. And you mentioned you thought it'd even be better on FF.
2: Yeah, he, I think he would really work on FF. Um, the, the only reason I say this, this, I mean, my Peter David uh, experience is really limited to X Factor for, for the most part. Uh, but I like the way he's able to play with those characters who people don't really know, and I, there's a real sense of danger in X Factor. Like when I'm when I'm reading X Factor, and I I caught up finally this week. Uh, I, I am not sure if characters are going to live or die. You know, I, I have that, that that feeling in me the whole time. Like, this person could be gone at any any moment. And it, I don't think we'll have that same feeling in the Fantastic Four book, but I think you can have that feeling in FF because there are plenty of great characters who you can really become attached to, but who also I don't think would make much waves universally if they were, they were you know, a, a victim in one of these mm-hmm. books. So I Sort thought, of disposable. Not even Sorry. disposable, but... Um, you know, it, it's interchangeable, char- or interchangeable, or just a character—a character that doesn't have so much history that people would like freak out if, if he was gone. You know, and it would feel like a gimmick. You know, there, there, are, there are characters you can play with that you could really get a great storyline for, and it, if that storyline ends in a death or something really bad happening, then whether it—you know—not that every story has to do that, but that sense of danger that's there. You know, it's sort of like what you feel when you're, when you're watching Game of Thrones. You know, you're like, I have no, so you look at that at any moment, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how important they are. You know, and that, that brings a real rush that isn't always very present in comic books. Uh, and I feel like that's there their next factor. And so I feel like he could really bring that to FF. I don't think he could bring that to Fantastic Four. Um, so, uh, so, Bob, but we, we know how what? giant a Fantastic Four fan you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did this news hit you?
3: I I understand Matt Fraction, he's a husband and a dad, and he's writing, it seems like, eight books at once. (laughs) Um, From my personal standpoint, because his his year on this book has been so great, such a look back and forward at the same time, he is going to be missed by me a lot. Um, I selfishly would prefer him writing Fantastic Four than doing The Inhumans. Mm -hmm. Because I've lived through periods where the Fantastic Four hasn't been good. And that's sometimes even with some really big creators who just haven't had the handle on the thing. And it was in such a state that not that they were ever canceled it, but it took Jonathan Hickman to rescue this. where People were just not even talking about this book. It wasn't important at all. And considering it's the first book of the Marvel era, it needs to be treated with respect by the company and fans and everyone else. Mm -hmm. So losing this... It, losing him on this book is very tough because you could see moving forward where you'd have so many great family stories that were going to come. I am concerned that you put the wrong kind of creator on here. you go back to as he pointed out in his first issue, Reed says to the kids, you know uh, uh more ac- more adventure, less action mm-hmm. we If we turn that around, you end up with the Avengers, mm-hmm. which isn't what we want here. Right. Uh, I think Carl Kessel, if given the chance to stick, Mm -hmm. might be able to deliver that. I don't think they'll let that happen. Right. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Joey, what do you think?
0: Uh, I was a little shocked by the news, but then once they listed out all of the the books that he's currently writing and the excitement around the Inhumans uh, books, um, I wasn't surprised that he was leaving. I was surprised he was leaving FF because that kind of felt... Even though, yeah, Hickman started it, it kind of felt that what Fraction and Allred were doing was kind of like a a little bit of a passion project um, over there. But to leave both was was a little bit shocking. Um, I, I kind of agree with Bob. It depends on whether they allow Carl Kessel and Lee Allred to kind of stay with the book to determine whether the kind of tone and quality of Fraction's run is upheld. Uh, because if you do bring on a, a big name creator a uh, big name writer to the to the series and you don't kind of relaunch it which is always now an option um, there's the I don't want to say risk but there's always the chance that the tone and the story the ongoing story and the the direction of the book completely shifts to because you have a big name creator why wouldn't you let them you know, actually tell their own stories opposed to kind of continuing on what what was started when the book launched. Um I don't know, I'd be interested to see how it's going. I haven't been, been up I'm not up to date on, on Fractions uh Fantastic Four and, and FF run, but from what I've read it's been great and I'm interested to see it where it goes going forward.
2: Yeah, it seems like these they, that they're gonna they're gonna be right working from his scripts at least, so I think you're gonna see uh, at least the end of these first arcs in this first story he 's been working on, and I yeah. then that's, and that 's why I think you have these two creators working there 's nothing nothing against these two guys. It could be amazing. these books could be mm-hmm. fantastic, but it it, it it feels like this is why these two guys are on here they 're going to bring their thing to it they 're going to do these scripts, and then I think they 're going to see when the story 's over what 's going to happen whether that 's fraction coming back because now he 's done with some of his creator own stuff and he 's moved on from this mm-hmm. and on from that that could happen but uh, I definitely, Bob, I think we're going to see a bigger name. Stephanie, I know you're not reading these books, so I don't know if you want to chime in at all. Sure. I mean,
4: uh, again, I'm behind on them. I have them, and I've obviously heard great things. But to me, it's just really honorable that Matt Fraction is stepping down from this. A lot of creators, they want their name on these big books, and they kind of take them to ruins because they get burnt out uh, with too many projects or just, you know, there's just they just kind of rush out these scripts, and they're like, great, next thing, great, next thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it's this quality or quantity over quality. Hmm. And I think it's noble for him to step down before, you know, he lets it get to that point. And he's wanting to focus on the things that are his priority and, you know, bring the humans into uh, the comic book world again. And he's set really great groundwork for all these other things. And while I think he'll be really missed on Fantastic Four and FF it's nice to see him again laying out bricks for other things to come and set the pace for other creators to take the
2: reins. Yeah, it's certainly, that is, what that's kind of the first thing I thought. I was like, well, at least he's putting the work first. You know, he doesn't, he'd rather put out you know a a group of great books instead of rewrite these books and have them be underserved because he's his tension is spread out to phone in a few issues exactly exactly and i'm sure we've talked we've talked to matt and he doesn't you know he seems like a pretty you know uh dedicated guy to those things i mean obviously he went back and read every fantastic four comic uh before he he started his run so he obviously cares about that property and doesn't want to see it it degrade in quality um I am very excited about the human stuff, mostly because I don't know that much about them. And every every snippet I get of them, I, I think it, it is just tantalizing to me. Um, I'm I'm really sad about FF, only because FF was probably definitely in my top 10 favorite books out, put out by Marvel right now. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I'm happy it was these and not Hawkeye, you know, for <laughs> me, because Hawkeye is my top five books that are right now. And, you know, what you said, Bob, you, you've experienced some bad, fantastic four time. But... I, I think you you can find great writers to write Fantastic Four and make it their own and be that thing. Hawkeye feels to me so it's so Matt Fraction and David Aja, you know that if if he was off that book, that book would die. You, to oh, me, absolutely, you, you know. So yeah. I, th- that that feels to me like I'm 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 just I have this little bit of relief that he didn't leave that book, you know, in some ways. Um, but I am sad to see him go because I've been enjoying Fantastic Four and FF you know month after month when they come out i was actually surprised that um christopher sabella didn't get one of the gigs because he's been co-writing sure. captain marvel with kelly sue and but he's also he also wrote the last issue of fantastic four so he's kind of seemed bit in the wings kind of guy for them but i didn't realize um that carl kessel had done fantastic four in the past so that makes sense that they would bring him on uh
3: to do that uh yeah, You don't have to study him up, in essence. He's already been on this book, if only briefly, but he certainly has a handle on the characters. And if this is going to be the finale of Fraction's first run here mm-hmm. is very family-oriented. You're looking at their, I want to spoil to it, read sick, they're sick, some yeah. bad stuff's going on. The toys we put back in the toy box.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. And uh, at, le- at least I still get to see the all-red art uh, on now. FF because that's right. just a joy Like every, every month when it comes out. Uh, Lee already has worked on some comics. I, I just, I'm looking at his bibliography. Oh, good. Um, he did a little, uh, he did some stories. He did a Doom Patrol versus Teen Titans, a, book called, uh, a story called Batman A Go-Go, and Comic Book Clubhouse, The Adventures of Lee, Mike, and Curtis, uh, which are collected in DC Comics Presents Teen Titans. Uh, number one, it's a 100-page spectacular that came out in 2011. So it was one of those you know, reprints of, of books. And he actually worked on a couple of uh, Madman books he worked on no. madman atomic comics number 8 uh over there so so he's definitely worked on a few books and i i, I the, i'm looking at his billy gallagher right now and some of these look like they might be comics uh the greatest danger let's see is this a comic book let's see uh no it's a, it's a paperback so most of them are, are 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 novels uh but he has done some comic book work so it's not his mm-hmm. first foray into that um i i'm i'm curious to see what an all all red team We'll yep. do with a book. <laughs> yeah, that, right sh- that should be something uh, pretty cool. Um, uh, uh, some news about somebody joining a book. Uh, uh, Raphael uh, Albuquerque is actually joining up with uh, Jeff Lemire to draw Animal Man. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> um, oh,
1: that's, like, so perfect. He's doing an upcoming <laughs> oh, run on perfect. Animal
2: Man uh, beginning October with, uh, with number 24. So, Stephanie, obviously you're excited. You said it's perfect. Why is it perfect? Why I
4: haven't it... heard that. Because he's just got like Animal Man is so creepy. And Raphael Albuquerque's art is scary. And, you know, American Vampire, like I love Scott Snyder, but his art made vampires terrifying again after like, you know, sparkly things. <laughs> so for me to hear that he's on Animal Man is just that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I can't even wait to see what he does for that that's perfect to me
2: yeah I've been uh, I actually today I just I was a couple issues behind and I caught up uh, with Animal Man Um, and the, the arc that they've been doing since the Rot World stuff has been great and incredibly emotional and the stuff they've been doing the last couple issues has been really scary so thinking of that stuff under the the guise under under the stewardship of Raphael Albuquerque, it gets me really excited because that book needs an artist like him. Um, Joey, are you do you read Animal Man? I
0: don't, but I love both Jeff Lemire and Raphael Albuquerque. Um, and like like Stephanie said, uh, American Vampire is just absolutely incredible. And to see, he's kind of one of those artists that if his name's on something, I'm totally willing to pick it up. You know, even though I don't currently read Animal Man. Um, you know, maybe I'll pick up an issue just to see what what it looks like.
2: Very, very cool. And I know you have some. You're not yeah, reading. MLM. Sorry about that. Uh, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, so th- that's cool news. Also, new news. Um, at IDW. We've seen them over the last year or so really double down on on um, the, the animated properties in in comic book form. And the newest one is actually going to be Samurai Jack, uh, written by Jim Zub, uh, uh, who writes uh, Skull Kickers and that's starting in October. Um, yeah you know I don't know if any does anybody watch Samurai Jack?
4: I started to. I've only seen a few episodes, but I know friends of mine that are just like devoted to it love it and i I've heard them you know super excited about this news
2: yeah so what do you, what do we think about these animated properties in general going to comic book forum stephanie
4: um i I think that it's i mean it's no different than a lot of these other things like transformers coming to. Comics and all that, and I think it could be fun because people want more of these things. Um, and they're obviously well, maybe not obviously, but they're not coming back to TV anytime soon, so why not carry them on in another fashion? I mean, we had Buffy and Smallville carry on in seasons after in the comics, and those have been wildly successful. So, I think that it's it could be a really fun idea and it allows them to explore some different options that you know they didn't do for the show
2: yeah i mean absolutely
0: joey what do you think yeah i I completely agree and um idw also did idw did the my little pony series Mm -hmm. yeah i mean uh, you look how successful that that uh comic uh was and still is um i'm not surprised and if samurai jack has any of the same sort of cult following or audience that, that a book like My Little Pony uh, could potentially have. And you know, why not?
1: Yeah.
4: Is is IDW doing uh, the Powerpuff Girl stuff too?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I'll I'll look that up. Uh, I feel
4: like they probably are, but it's just nice to see like a different set of books, like coming out a different range of things. And maybe I won't, I might not read it, but I know that it'll still be really successful because that property was just, you know, it has such a cult following.
0: Same thing with X-Files. They're doing X-Files right now, which I read mm. the first issue of, which was very, it was really good. You mm-hmm. know?
4: Yeah. With art by Michael Walsh. She's awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. IDW is doing uh, Powerpuff Girls.
4: Okay. See, that's awesome to me. Like the, my little pony and um, you know, the Powerpuff Girls are really great. things for kids too. The Powerpuff yeah. Girls was revolutionary a lot in a lot of ways. And it was, you know, really cutesy, but there was a lot of really big messages hidden in the show. And I- I'm excited to see what they'll do with that as well. And it's nice to have these kids comics coming into play. And I, I know this is like off topics from Samurai Jack, but like the My Little Pony, the last convention I was at in Boston, there was little girls everywhere <laughs> be- and carrying around um, the variants. I worked at Agnes Garboska's booth for a little bit with her and she was swamped with these little kids like six and under buying her variants and having them sign it. And they were just so over the moon to have something to read that was, you know, made for them. And it's really touching.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's great. That's great yeah. to hear that it, it spreads to that deep, uh, you know, a uh, uh, fandom. And the Power of Girls thing, too, is great in that same way, you know, and it's funny, too, because uh Tara Strong, who is uh, the is the was the voice of I guess Twilight Sparkle on uh, uh, My Little Pony. She was also the voice of Batgirl in Batman the Animated Series. Oh. She was the first voice of uh, uh, Hello Kitty in America, and she's the voice of the power, one of the Powerpuff Girls as well.
3: There you go. So <laughs> it's
2: interesting. I got to move between those two things. Um, uh, yeah. So no, I think it's really cool. It's really cool to see those things out there, and it's great to see the reaction to books like this, to My Little Pony, and. and Uh, I hope that Samurai Jack gets a similar reception because even if they're not books that necessarily I want to read every month, I love that they're out there and that they they exist.
3: Is Samurai Jack all ages? I mean, as a cartoon, Uh, I don't think I've ever seen one. Sort of? Yeah, it's on the border. It's on the border,
2: yeah.
4: It's kind of like... I don't know. It's like this weird mix of Teenage Mutant Ninja
0: Turtles and like Powerpuff Girls and mm-hmm. I don't know. And He-Man. Yeah. No,
1: I just gave yeah. it up. I oh, just yeah. made it up. <laughs> so maybe well, it's, into You double... know, it's a
0: recognizable commodity that might get yeah. people into the store right. too. That's, that's a, you know, we, we kind of make fun of, you know, oh, it's a jukebox musical and things like that. Battleship the movie or whatever. Not that <laughs> that's a good example, but, you know, it's a recognizable commodity that might get, you know, different eyes than wood on comics.
3: Well, if it's... Skews slightly older. I mean, if we're looking at My Little Pony, Adventure Time, those mm. things, it being for the under 10s. Mm. If Samurai Jack skews to, to 10 to 12,
1: yeah. that's a good yeah.
3: thing, too, because that's, a, that's another, that's a possibly even a more underrepresented marketplace in mm-hmm. terms of books. Yeah, Because yeah. things like Little Gotham are for the little, real little folks. Yeah. I and mean, there's nothing, there's no gateway.
2: Right, yeah. Um and yeah, and the Boom is uh, Kaboom, Boom has been doing a great job with this too. Obviously, the Adventure Time stuff is huge, regular show is huge. Yep. So, uh it, it's cool it's cool that it's getting this new group of people uh you know, into comics because it's using properties they know to draw them in. It, it, and that's what comic books do anyway. You know, they use these heroes that we we've known since we were kids to bring us into these worlds and they're just doing the same thing. You know, just transferring medium. So, by the way, the big- for those
4: of you who aren't familiar with Samurai Jack? It won. It was only on the air for four years, I think, mm-hmm. and it won um, the Primetime Emmy for animation wow. every year. Wow! So just FYI, <laughs> Google fu yo. Little
2: information for you. Stephanie knew that all at the top of her head. She just knew it. It was just sitting there. <laughs> She's a the Samurai Jack expert.
4: I'm a Samurai. No, Googler. stop. Just stop.
2: Okay. <laughs> I thought there was a bad pun coming, and I just wanted to cut yeah. it off before. <laughs> it even Leo. even got what? there
4: God, you think so <laughs> highly
2: of me I do, I do um, So speaking of uh, licensed properties uh, This is the nice news We talked about this um, uh, a few weeks ago With another book, I believe But um, So our Dynamite is releasing Ash and the Army of Darkness by Steve Niles And it's going to be fully returnable And we mm, mentioned cool. another book about this a couple months ago But this is another great thing uh, uh, For retailers, it gives retailers the chance more to order things They might not normally order a lot like, of copies of Because mm-hmm. they can send them back So I don't think there's a ton to say about it, but I think it's just good to see that kind of stuff happening in there. Uh, It definitely brings more of that mass media feel when you can take a flyer on something, walk into a shop and buy something rather than have to order it uh, in advance. Um, In in the video game world, we got some new screenshots uh, from Batman Arkham Origins, uh, which is hitting stores on October 25th, which sees uh, the early days of Batman and it takes place on Christmas Eve where a bunch of assassins have been hired to come and, come and kill him. Uh, we've seen a lot of pictures of the assassins, Deathstroke, uh, Deadshot. All these guys are, are, are present. Uh, but these pictures actually show, for the first time, uh, the Batcave uh, oh. in an Arkham game and a, and a little oh. bit of Alfred. Uh,
3: Which Alfred? Do we have Ninja Alfred? No, or Jason or Statham
2: Alfred? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, "What well, a Batman! Um, so... We, uh, th- these are the first images that we've seen really of this in the- in these games. Um, Joey, are, I don't even you know, are you a gamer? Do you, did you play the Arkham games? Um, I haven't played the Arkham games and I haven't been able to play a lot of video
0: games since I started, you know, teaching because it's so tough. Um, but I, you mentioned that it was being released. When was it? October. October. That's great because that means it won't just be for next gen consoles. No, so, it's not. Know, <laughs> that's great.
2: Yeah. It's for PlayStation 3, Wii U, Xbox 360, and PC. Uh, Stephanie, are you excited about Arkham Origins?
4: Yes and no. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm excited that there's more superhero video games. I don't know specifically if I'm excited for, like, the origin aspect of it, but it looks awesome. I'll probably buy it. And by probably, I mean, I will. And it'll probably (laughs) be on day one. And by probably, I mean, I definitely will buy it on day one. So, I mean... (laughs) that as you
2: will. So there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited and it will be definitely cool because when this game comes out, I, we actually, I actually have procured, procured some uh, game capture technology. So I'm going to be able to start doing uh, like playthroughs of games and stuff like that. So you'll definitely oh. see uh, a look at this game when it hits shelves in, in October. Um, so uh, this this news was on CBR um, and it seems that the headline is Garth Innes in very early stages of a new Punisher series. <laughs> he said, I will be start, starting work on another Punisher miniseries quite soon. That'll probably come out sometime next year. Um, that's at the very early stages. Um, Joey, are you a fan of Garth Ennis? Or are you a fan of the Punisher?
0: Um, when Garth Ennis' Punisher was kind of the only game in town, I was a fan of Garth Ennis' Punisher, but then Rooka did his Punisher and I was like, this is it. You know, this is, <laughs> this is what I'm into now. And, um, I don't want to say it's played out, but that news doesn't necessarily excite me that much. Uh, perhaps as as it, as it might have a few years ago, hmm. um, especially because I felt burned by the way Rooka's Punisher kind of had to get pushed aside in favor of the Marvel Now stuff. Um, I don't know, just not not excited for it. I, you know, Garth Ennis is a very uh, he's a great writer. He has a very distinct style of writing. And um, I don't know, I'm just, I guess I'm not into that sort of his brand of, of action storytelling
2: at this current stage hmm. in my life. Interesting, hmm. interesting. Um, Bob, have you
3: read any of en- Ennis's work? No, can't say as I have, at hmm. least that I can recall. Interesting. So.
2: Yeah, th- I'm not very good for this either because hmm. I just, my first time I really read The Punisher was the Rucka stuff, the first time I really took to the character. So I had actually a ton of the Ennis stuff, uh, uh, you know, our fr- my friend Brian uh, gave me a bunch of it because he's getting rid of his comics and he was like obsessed with that stuff when, when he was uh, a teenager. So I definitely want to uh, check that out and, and read some of it. But yeah, it doesn't really excite me. This is only one of those things where I'll look to see uh, reviews and, and see how, what the reaction is and see what whoever gets assigned it on our site says about yeah. it and, and I'll decide uh, what I'm going to do. Um, Stephanie, I've never heard you speak of the Punisher so I don't know even if you even care about the character
4: i like the punisher i haven't read like tons of it i've only kind of read um like the big magazines that they had Mm -hmm. um and little bits. i almost bought like the punisher christmas special because this weekend actually just because it seemed so you know weird to have a punisher christmas special so (laughs) like i was like yeah it's not what i think of
3: Yeah, it's not what you think of at christmas time
4: they're I know, and I'm like. And I feel like there's no jolliness to this. It's like, what do you? What could I get for Christmas? My family back. You can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, sidebar off. I I like Garthina's. like the pro is awesome. Have any of you read that before?
3: No, I haven't. No. Flip through it, never so actually boards the the Amanda amazing. Connor.
4: Yeah, it's yeah. Amanda Connor and Garthina's, and it's awesome. It's just hilarious and great um i don't think i've really read a lot of his other stuff
0: well i know he's he does cross too which i think is still running it's you know it's very dark his punisher run was known for it's very dark but also very like very dark humor as well It was very gritty very gory but there was that that kind of um through line of of humor and kind of gallows humor running through it um the other thing that was was big with Garth Ennis' run on Punisher was Steve Dillon was doing the artwork. And I don't know if, if Steve D- Dillon was attached to this announcement
2: or not. No, it was just a very yeah. like, passing mention by uh, Garth so, Ennis.
0: I don't know. Again, it's a very distinct interpretation of the character, but that interpretation's kind of followed Frank Castle along since Ennis took over the book in the early 00s. Mm-hmm.
4: But, I mean, he's obviously earned his dues he's awesome he has preacher which i admittedly have not yet read and he did tons of hellblazer right or yeah. did he do yes all of yeah he did but it. anyways it's i'm i have no doubt that it'll be awesome i just for me i punisher isn't one of my books that i'm like heck yeah i gotta get that
2: <laughs> yeah Very absolutely added, so um and we'll wrap up the, the news section uh Um, with some, some good news, uh, Mike Grell, who, uh, probably know best from, uh, Green Arrow, uh, Longbow Hunters, um, veteran creator, he's 65 years old, he had to cancel an appearance and be taken to the hospital, um, Mm -hmm. this, this past week, uh, he wrote, he wrote a letter out in his blog saying that he's fine. He had cellulitis, and he's going to be fine. He's going to be okay, and he'll, he'll carry on. So uh, good, to know, good to know that he is in uh, good health. Our best wishes to him. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Um, so let's move on uh, from news, and let's talk about Books of the Week. Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. Are you ready?
4: I am ready. All right. Thanks, Bobby. You're
3: welcome, <laughs> Stephanie.
4: So uh, this weekend I spent a lot of time actually reading books you know, minus pictures with words. Mm-hmm.
3: They still make those?
4: I know. Oh. Uh, one of them I had to, I was reading, you know, because of my job and stuff. I read down the Mr. Lee river, which is by Bill Willingham. And it was fantastic. Um, I also got a chance to, I I started it yesterday and finished it yesterday. I read all of Neil Gaiman's The Ocean at the End of the Lane, hmm. which was also fantastic. <laughs> um, it was so, It was to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, I'm not as familiar. I I don't know. I know lots of Neil Gaiman stuff, but like, I don't feel like I'm an expert on him in any way, shape or form, but it felt like a very different style that he took for this book. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but, um, you know, I'm leaning into the fact that I was kind of focused on the books and all that. And I didn't have too much time to read a lot of last week's comics, but the one comic that I did read and want to talk about is an anthology. Um, Called True Patriot Canadian Comic Book Adventures.
2: Oh boy! Yes. Well. Wow.
4: No, not oh boy. Listen, <laughs> don't you pfft away my comic of the week. <laughs> so, in Canada, we just recently got Kickstarter um, up here. We're allowed to fund all of the projects everywhere else, but we weren't allowed to, you know, start them. So we have this um, similar thing called Indiegogo, and um, this book got funded through Indiegogo, and it just launched in stores, um, I think, last week or the week before. It was I think it, was, it came out the same day that the Lion Cat shirts arrived in stores.
2: <laughs> um,
3: you lost me there.
2: It's the, the saga thing, the, yeah. the Lion, Lion Cat. They, oh. they had shirts, they released them finally. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, so I picked this up because, you know, Canada, and I am a true patriot.
2: Because <laughs> you know Canada.
4: <laughs> it's seems <laughs> legit. <laughs> seems legit. Um, and it's this anthology of stories that pertain to Canada. And then they're also um, written and drawn by Canadian creators. Um, so we have things like uh, Tom Fowler's in here, Jay Torres, Andy Belanger, uh, Jay Bone, um, Fred Kennedy, who's uh, a radio personality up here, Fearless Fred, um, and a friend of mine, Adam Gorham. Uh, and then Faith Aaron Hicks does a story with uh, Superhero Girl. And her story is called Superhero Girl versus Canadianness. <laughs> um, and then let's see who else. Adrian Alfana, who um worked on Runaways, um, Agnes Garboska, uh, Ramon Perez, and there's just a really wide variety of awesome creators that are featured in this book. And um they're just like short two to three page stories, um that kind of, you know, I don't know exactly, like, what the premise was or what they were told they had to do, but I'm guessing they had to come up with a story revolving around a Canadian hero or something, and they just kind of went with that, and, I mean, I've talked about Superhero Girl before, um, Faith Erin Hicks's book, and her story in this is so fucking funny, and, like, I'm sorry to use F-bomb, but, like, for real, <laughs> She winds up, you know, this reporter, after she saves the day, kind of asks her, what makes you Canadian? And she's like, I don't know, I was born here. <laughs> and, like, you know, the reporter's like, that's not an answer. That's not a thing you can say. Anyways, so she kind of, like, spends this story pondering what makes her Canadian. But she gets home, and there's all of these people in her living room. And the, the, I can't even, like, talk about it without, like, wanting to laugh. It's like the monocled bear all over again. There we go. Um, But they're the League of Villainous Canadian Stereotypes (laughs) You know, there's a Lumberjack And then there's, like, you know The Double Double Duo Which are, like, fueled by the power of a thousand Tim Hortons coffees (laughs) Which is kind of how I feel right now My heart's about to explode (laughs) And there's, like, a guy that's, like, le toucum And it's basically the tuked guy The guy with the two And Farley Mowad it's a Canadian thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Help us out (laughs) here.
4: Lumberjack. Did I mention the lumberjack?
0: Yeah, that was funny.
4: So it's just this ridiculous book where, you know, it's celebrating Canadian comics and, you know, our stereotypes, I guess, but in a fun and just amazing way. And even if you're not Canadian, I really think you can appreciate it. My other favorite one was this book called, "Uh -oh Oh, go Pogo. And it was art by Adrian Alfana and then the writing, um, was by Howard Wong. And it's this story about, you know, Bigfoot and Ogopogo, and this guy sitting in the woods and they're kind of like, they just kind of address myths and where they come from. And I don't know, I don't know how to describe it without kind of getting everyone to look at it, but it really surprised me. I kind of honestly picked it up to support some of the people I knew that worked on it. Um, I got into it today and I couldn't put it down. And Faith Erin Hicks' story, I was at a cafe down the street from me and I was, like, laughing out loud and all these old people are looking at me like, what is this crazy girl doing? And, like, is that a comic book? What? And I was like, yeah, it's funny, guys. funny and it's Canadian. (laughs) So, you know, that's a thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Anyways. I'm not entirely sure where you can get this if you're not, like, in Toronto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, what's it called? Uh, pardon? What's it called again?
4: It's called True Patriot. Um, but you kind of, because, I mean, if you type in True Patriot and then Canadian, you just get a lot of, like, you know, patriotism stuff. But if you type in, like, True Patriot Canadian Comic Book Adventures, you should be able to find it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah.
2: One very hope. specific uh, need, Google search. Yeah, they need better SEO on, the, on their book. <laughs> it's called
4: True Patriot. I mean, like... National anthem. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Um, if you want more info on how to actually, you know, get your paws on this, ha ha! I know that was completely unintentional, but own it. I mean, let me know. They call like a beaver a walking potato at some point in time. <laughs> like
3: well, that's uh, a thing.
4: It's so funny, Bob. I'm gonna get you a copy. I'm gonna send it to you because you'll appreciate it. Uh,
3: thank you. I do appreciate that. Faith Aaron uh, and, Hicks is hysterical. So uh, any more superhero girl I can get my hands on. Uh,
4: and I tweeted I tweeted about the book. And, oh, I have to talk about one more thing in it. I'm sorry. But, like, I tweeted about the book and Faith Aaron Hicks was like, actually, my boyfriend came up with the idea for the League of <laughs> Villainous Canadian Stereotypes. And awesome. <laughs> but there's this other story. And forgive me. It's seriously just hilarious, though. There's this other story, though. Uh, Again, done by Fred Kennedy and Adam Gorham. And what's it called? I think it's called The Blue Noser (laughs) and Gull Girl. (laughs) Yeah, it's called The Blue Noser versus Gull Girl. And, okay, I also laughed hysterically at this because, you know, there's, like, these seagulls and Gull Girl. These kids are, like, throwing rocks at seagulls, like kids do. And Gull Girl comes to, like, defend them. But Gull Girl (laughs) is, like, covered in feathers. And she kind of looks a bit, like a cross between mira and wonder woman but she has seagulls for hands (laughs) oh my god you guys i died i was like and then you know the blue noser is like the blue nose famous ship in canada so you know history but the blue noser is this fisherman and basically he goes to fight gull girl and they just have this battle and she's got these Freaking crazy seagull hands. <laughs> and he just has like a fishing net. And <laughs> you guys, it's the greatest thing
0: I've ever read. I gotta say, I like hearing Stephanie talk about this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I don't know if the book can live up to it after yeah. this, but I'm willing it's to so try.
4: Funny. It's so funny. It's great. It's crazy. And, oh, my God. Just read it. I can't. Somebody else talk. I'm going to stop muting. I'm muting.
2: Oh, man. That was awesome. Um, Bob, what do you got for us?
3: Sure. Uh, really quickly, uh, the second issue of Red Sonia came out this week. Uh, Gail Simone, Walter Giovanni uh, picked up just where we left off the last one. Really neat story. You're seeing uh, Red Sonia in a different position fighting for somebody else mm-hmm. as opposed to just running around on her own. Uh, lots of great action sequences, tons of good character stuff, and a shock surprise ending, which doesn't bode well for Sonya moving forward. But, I mean, she'll survive, Yeah, I hope.
2: Gail is not very kind to her, her characters.
3: No, her characters have had a bad week. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll yeah, get into in some general, of that a little later, too. General, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, but I it's really look good. Look. if you have, People haven't picked this up. Anyone else reading Red Sonya?
2: I haven't yeah. read number two yet. I've only read number one. Um, anybody else? I, I
4: picked up. The second one. I haven't read it yet, but I got like the Stephanie Busema variant too. cover.
3: Yeah, that's the one I have. Love <laughs> yeah, that one. It's so pretty. Did you get the first one with her art?
4: No. Mm. I got the first one digitally, and then I was in the store and they happened to have um, the subscription variant. And I was like, Yep, fine <laughs> it.
3: Yeah, I, I had a swipe one from my friend's store. <laughs> not, not that I stole it, but he has a customer getting I think he doesn't want all the covers but wants a selection of the covers. So he ordered one, you know, at least one of every cover that he could get his hands on. I went, "Well, I want that one." <laughs> he can have all those other ones. He can have yeah. all the, the, the uh, and they're all great. I yeah. mean, every cover has been yeah. amazing, but I just think these are so cute. Yeah, especially the little fish at the bottom here with the giant teeth. <laughs> I guess they're fish. I'm <laughs> yeah, gonna...
2: they look like piranhas. They yeah. look like piranhas that would be in like Mario Brothers. That's what they look or like. Or piranhas
3: from Lovecraft or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just there's something really spooky about that. Yeah. But it, it is a it is. It's a great book. and mm-hmm. I know a little bit only about Red Sonja, but this is really, really well taken. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, Fearless Defenders, number eight, of which I can't say too much because there are spoilers galore. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cullen Bunn has really done a great job. There was a big moment a couple issues back that we're now addressing. And it's just done with charm and humor. This is a, an issue set in Misty Knight's world. Uh, where it's it's all street level, except there's also you know Elsa Bloodstone and monsters and monster eggs and kicking butt and taking names and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Uh, you get a two it could be two new members of the team turn up ones in, mm. and Elsa ones another I won't say anything about and we get a new villain who looks to be a big bad that will move forward also joining up with. Caroline Lefay from the past issues. So I think we've got a big storyline cooking together here. And, of course, the usual great Mart Brooks cover. Yeah, the covers have Uh, all been awesome. This is sort of the model sheet for Val's new outfit, Mm. which includes even a little note at the bottom that's actually a note to editor uh, Ellie Pyle. How about North-style black fur boots with brown strap? (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) I like that. some inside baseball. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Gail Simone and characters having problems, Batgirl 23
2: yeah, I also have not read it yet. I okay. just know that bad things happen.
3: Yeah, it is the first part of the Bat Girl Wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to see her dad being a policeman again, and not just the guy standing on the roof, you know, calling for Batman. Right. He's on the ground doing stuff. I can't say too much because you want to hey, read this, but yeah. uh, what the one thing that is the best about this issue as it was anything Gail does, it's about characters. Uh, Gail has Barbara and Alyssa going shopping in the mall. And it is just so wonderful to look at the, the expressions. And uh, Fernando Pasarines' art really, really sells that whole sequence where you see the, the young ladies enjoying their time at the mall. It doesn't go quite as well as you'd like because, it, after all, you know, that's what Gail's doing lately. Uh, anyone else read Batgirl without being spoilery to Bobby?
4: No, I haven't read it yet. No. But I do agree. Like Batgirl's tagline, should kind of been like Batgirl, bad things are happening. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's always, it's always.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's gone from bad to worse. Yeah. Uh, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel.
2: Well, You gotta put her through the ringer. Like she said, you, know, you gotta earn, you gotta earn the, the change. Yeah, You gotta earn her getting to be the hero that she was before she was mm-hmm. shot.
4: Yeah, it's like Tomb Raider 2, the latest video game. They just kicked
2: yeah. the
0: shit oh out my of her. Oh gosh, it was <laughs> insane.
4: You gotta kick the shit out of them to like, you know... Stuff to build I feel like, their.
0: I felt like I got my go ass kicked with. playing that game. Yeah,
4: I know. <laughs> you like cry alongside them. Just, <laughs> that hurt, I think.
3: Well, maybe they should have in the controllers. They still have those shock controllers. Yeah, absolutely. what if they gave real shocks?
2: Oh, well, that would be bad. <laughs> and I would not play video games.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> See. See, I'm like that. I also think on game shows, you know, you, you're on Wheel of Fortune or Price is Right, and you win a, a living room suite of furniture, whatever. I think if you lose, they should come to your house and take yours. Mm. It should really be, there should be consequences, even <laughs> in game shows.
4: Well, there should just be like, so many people do stupid things on Wheel of Fortune. I just feel like it, you know, buy a vowel. But you don't need a vowel. Every other letter's like up there. Yeah. Then they get electrocuted. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, see, yeah, I like
2: that. Be stupid. Yeah. yeah. I just don't like it when they're, they're extra greedy, when they obviously know the answer, they keep, they keep spinning, because like, yeah. I want more money, you know? Just solve the puzzle. You're going you're gonna to serve you right if you get bankrupt. Yeah. It's going to serve you right to solve the puzzle.
3: <laughs> We'd be very bad at, in the Roman arena. Yeah, <laughs> We'd be exactly. lots of thumbs down to, yeah, from yeah. this crew. That
4: time, you're
3: tough. dead, Russell Crowe.
4: Decided yeah. to yell about Wheel of Fortune. yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: gonna... My fault, Oh Sorry. my,
4: they're stupid. Wheel of Fortune, we're going to rag on that.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll go back to Jeopardy. Sick we'll bring... burn. <laughs>
2: yeah. Not that anybody who watches Wheel of Fortune knows how to use the internet or listen to a podcast. So, okay. I <laughs>
3: wonder what their demographics <laughs> yeah, 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 are like. Yeah, And they're not listening to us. They? No, they're definitely so. not listening to
2: us. I don't think Mama we got the always wheel-
4: yells at, like, Wheel of Fortune. She doesn't – we watch Jeopardy sometimes, but, like, she won't watch Wheel of Fortune before. She's like, Stephanie, they're all so stupid. <laughs> She's, like, so mad. Yeah. Carry on.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: Well, that girl. Okay, I'll finish up. <laughs> My book of the week is uh, new number one from IDW Thunder Agents.
2: I'm glad you're talking uh, about it. I wanted I wanted to hear about this from yeah. you.
3: Uh, you know, it's the Tower Comics from '66. We did a show some while back. You know, something we had never talked about. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of that original. I actually bought on the newsstand for some bizarre reason as a ten year old, and always just loved these characters. They've been in limbo. DC did a very bad version a year or so ago. Uh, This is uh, Phil Hester, and I'm believing it's Andrea DeVito and not Andrea DeVito, Mm -hmm. so I'm sorry if I fouled up someone's name and or gender as we talk (laughs) about this book. Uh, It is a complete throwback to 60s and 70s storytelling and art style, and yet it's new at the same time. There's a somewhat different level of action, but not violence. Uh, We have... Cute little nods to the past where the, the head of Thunder was one of the original Thunder squad from back then. She talks about being 12 years a cadet. Mm. Um, where it is here, you have a scientist who has a, you know, a, a mountain lair. You've got to have one of those. And it's been taken over by the villain who we see on the, one of the alternate covers, the Iron Maiden. <laughs> she was the Iron Maiden, by the way, before the band. But <laughs> after the torture device.
2: <laughs> Well, I would hope so.
3: Yeah. Well, <laughs> she wears iron armor. Yeah. You know. Uh, anyway, she's taken over and makes a whole speech about how, you know, now it's hers and it's filled with all these devices. She's already captured one of the Thunder Agents and killed a character called No Man, who you can kill because he's an android. He's an old man who's put his brain into an android. When he dies, he just goes into another body. It mm. just keeps changing back and forth. Nice. Uh, so then they need to create, uh, take some of this other Professor Jennings' weaponry and get back their agent, stop the Iron Maiden. They have, it's called the Thunder Belt. And that's their other lead character, Dynamo, with his little mm. Thunder Belt. And it makes him impervious to harm and super strong and all that sort of stuff. They can't find anyone strong enough to wear this belt. It, it makes them all either nuts, puts them in so much pain they can't function. It's just not a good thing. One of the other agents says, I know a guy He was a former hockey player, a hockey enforcer, no less, who ended up out of hockey because he killed somebody, who's now working as a, uh, let's see, works in Kmart stocking shelves and collecting debts for the mob, which is a good combination. I mean, he might as well have, you know, different kind of jobs. And they go catch him busting up some stuff, and he, because of his tolerance for pain, can wear this thunder belt. So they send him out, to go do what he's doing. He is still the Len Brown of all those years ago, where he was sort of a newbie agent at that point. Everything was past him. He didn't understand what was going on, and he was new at it. We get that same vibe here. Um, the art is just a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see any of it in the store, I but it's. I didn't know. It is really. Again, it's, it's sort of the sparse backgrounds you anticipate from seeing in a 60s book, but mm-hmm. it's, it's drawn and colored in such a way that it's now a little more modern. Yeah. It's a a great fun story. For those who were fans of this before, this is the Thunder Asians. You've been waiting to see them come back out with not the pale attempts we've had over the last couple of years. And if you don't know anything about them, you're not going to feel left out. You're introduced to these characters as we're going. It it does not require a history lesson for me about who the Thunder (laughs) Asians (laughs) are, (laughs) though (laughs) you (laughs) did get one a couple of weeks ago. But it just started. This is a book that needs... IDW does a lot of great under-the-radar sort of stuff, bring back old characters, old creators. This is a great, great attempt at a classic book and just done well.
2: Hmm. And is this an ongoing,
3: do you know, or is it... Yeah, it's going to be ongoing as long as we can get the sales up. Right, of course, of course.
2: Interesting, great. I'm glad to hear... I know you were looking forward to that book, so I'm glad to hear that it it, it delivered for you. Yes, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Joey, what do you got for us? Uh, I got
0: two books. I mentioned one on the live stream last Friday, which was the the Black Widow book from 2005-ish under the Marvel Knights um, imprint. Um, I was reading on the the Marvel Unlimited thing. I I had finished Iron Fist. I had finished Defenders. And I was like, well, what could I read now? Oh, Black Widow. I feel like I don't have any books with her uh, in, in... in focus. Um, so I started reading it. It's by Richard K. Morgan, who was a, or is a British sci-fi novelist. And they brought him on to do the, the writing, um, on, on Black Widow. Uh, Bill Sinkowitz does the artwork. He's, you know, a legend in the industry. He did Electra uh, and all that really, really excellent, mm-hmm. excellent stuff in the eighties. Um, it's a great book. It, it came out clearly in like the mid-2000s. There's a lot of stuff that harkens back to what was going on with the war on terror and everything. The premise basically is Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, um, got out of the spy game. She was like, I'm done with S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm done with being a superhero. She kind of just wants to live the, the quiet life. And in the first issue, what ends up happening um, to kind of set up the whole conflict is several members of the Red Room where she was trained end up dead and assassinated. So she kind of has to go on the run. She has this kind of old contact at S.H.I.E.L.D., who's also retired, who she ropes into it. And the two of them kind of are on the run trying to figure out the whole thing. It's a it's a, it's a, a great, very pulpy kind of spy game uh, type of book. Um, kind of like what Secret Avengers was when Ed Brubaker was writing it. Um, the artwork is just absolutely incredible uh, by Sinkiewicz. And in the, the second run, there's 12 issues, there's two volumes. The second one, Sean Phillips comes on and takes care of some of the artwork. Uh, Sean Phillips from, you know, Criminal and Incognito and Sleeper with with Ed Brubaker. Um, it's a really excellent book, and it was it was really refreshing to kind of have a, Black Widow centric story. We often see her in relationship to 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 the Avengers team or to another hero like Hawkeye or something and to have her as the lead in this book um was was really really great and in, in addition to all the kind of political um espionage thriller stuff going on. It's it's really gritty, really dark. I really, really uh, liked that one. And
3: it's Marvel Knights,
0: so that was was always fun as well.
3: Yeah, I remember reading Um, that when it came out. I really did enjoy that one. There were a number of other Black Widow minis, varying quality. Some were, one was painted by J.G. Jones going way, way back.
2: Oh, wow.
3: Was that the one I think that's the one they introduced the second Black Widow, the blonde. Was that with Rocca writing that yeah. one? I think. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, but that one from I didn't realize it was 2005. That was that long ago. It strikes <laughs> me it was like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was really very I don't want to say John Clancy-ish, but very mm-hmm. spy, mm-hmm. very yeah. sort of mm. gritty underworld sort of stuff. And, and Sakovich's art is perfectly suited for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely Yeah, and she does a lot of things the, the character does a lot of things in that book that is really like grey area kind of mixed morality mm-hmm. type things going on and like that interpretation of the character is, is just really really meaty and I really really enjoyed it um, my other book of the week was uh, one that I wrote a review for, for the site which was the collection of Amelia Cole and the mm-hmm. Unknown World um, Amelia Cole was a monkey brain book that was coming out I guess last year and it's still ongoing, you can get it online, but IDW, speaking of IDW, um, collected the first six issues into a, into graphic novel format. A really, really fun book by Adam P. Knave uh, and DJ Kirkbride.
2: does action cats? Oh my <laughs>
1: god!
0: Uh, and art by Nick Brokenshire, I think is how you say his name. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Basically, the premise is Amelia Cole is a is a teenaged... Uh, magician, magic. She she comes from the magic world and she, like all teenage girls and teenagers in general, teenage boys as well, are trying to find the, uh, her place in the world and what ends up happening is she gets cut off from the magic world where she was raised and the real world, which is, I guess, our world. And she finds herself in this third mixed-match world where both magic and non-magic live together. Mm. So not only is she trying to kind of come of age in her own kind of personality, but also trying to find her place in this brand-new world. Um, and it's, it's really, really well done. Really great story for young adults, I feel. I wouldn't necessarily say all ages, because it is kind of a teenage coming of age story um but from young adults on i think you get a lot out of it the the aesthetic of the book uh under broken shire and i guess rachel deering did design work for it i don't know what that means they don't really specify but it's kind of like main street usa kind of feel to the to the setting but then there's like monsters with four arms and there's magic it's kind of this very kind of postmodern magic non-magic mixing and the artwork itself is is kind of that realism that you get with like a Jamie McKelvey or the Hernandez brothers it's it's a really interesting slice of life meets mysticism book that I really couldn't put my finger on the genre but I know I had a great time reading it and um, IDW did a really good job collecting it uh, together but like I said you can get all of the issues and um, I think we're actually into the next story arc on Comicsology right now um, and I really 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 liked it.
2: That's great that's great to hear um, it's great that they're collecting that monkey brain stuff like that so people who aren't in the digital realm can, can check it out um, you, you mentioned you were reading uh, Defenders on Marvel Limited. Is that the Fraction Defenders? Yeah,
0: I finished the Fraction Defenders oh. stuff. I know that you guys are big fans of that. What yeah. would you, know. What'd you um,
2: think? I, I liked
0: it. Um, there were parts of it where I didn't really know what was going on. That might have been because I was kind of reading it like relatively quickly. I'm, I'm sure if I go back and read it again, I'll, I'll catch things. But it was a really quirky book. Um, again, sort of the same thing. I loved having a Doctor Strange book. Uh, and I love the, the characters that he had chosen. Silver Surfer 2, you don't get a lot of that. Um, at least uh where they get to be themselves and not part of a uh, like an Avengers team, mm-hmm. you know? Um I, I enjoyed it. Uh and I I kinda see where I, I I'm a big fan of Fraction's work on like Casanova. I don't know if you guys have read any Casanova stuff. I haven't, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read that's, a bit of it. Yeah, that's really out there. And I could see him kind of taking some of those ideas about, you know, time and and the universe and everything that's, like, really super out there in Casanova, really experimental, and kind of bringing it into our superhero Marvel universe. So that aspect of it I really enjoyed because I'm a fan of his brand um, coming over from Casanova. So, yeah, I really liked it. Cool.
3: Awesome. Uh, Let me show for a canceled book. If you enjoyed Red She-Hulk in that. Take a read through the Jeff Parker, whatever it is, six issues of that, Mm because despite the fact that it didn't sell and no one's interested but me, I think (laughs) you'd enjoy it.
0: (laughs) I think that's actually on the the Marvel Unlimited app, and it's definitely on my list of things to to check out. Mm -hmm. Awesome, and you read
2: Through His Iron Fist stuff as well.
0: Well, I had read um, Iron Fist. I have the omnibus of Brew Baker and Fractions run on that, mm-hmm. and I f- and they they ended around you know the mid twenties, and then Dwayne Schrzesinski, ah. I think that's his name, came over and did the the end of it, and I just finished out. Oh, so gotcha. I feel like oh, I completed the Iron Fist. Um, I love the Iron Fist character, and I wish they did more. Um, with him or gave him another series. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. we'll see.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Um, absolutely. Uh, cool. Thanks, Joey. Um, so I'll end it stuff with me. Uh, I spent some time, like I was saying, I've did to dad at the show. I've been catching up on some books, cut up an X factor, which I loved. I've uh, been loving the end of X factor storyline and the individualized issues and these like little kind of um, codas and all of the, mm-hmm. all of their tales. Um, especially there's a, the shatter star, uh, and Richter, and long shot kind of time y dimension hopping issue I, I, I think it's been my favorite issue that i've read so far wow. um j- just you know i thought it was great I, lo- I love that kind of stuff um and this is without having a ton of uh backup on the characters you know it's ju- it's just basically i've read the breaking points storyline i've read okay. a few of like the the when they start when they I guess when they started renumbering the book, when they kind of reformed the team and I've, I read from hell on earth on. So I've only read smatterings of it. Um, so, but I still have the connection to the characters. I I think it's great and I'm, and I'm excited to see what happens in these next few issues. Um, like I said, I also caught up an animal man. Great stuff. The last, the, the, the the annual animal man annual, which is a mouthful to say, um, (laughs) is similar to uh the first annual in that it goes back in time in Buddy's story it, it it plays on the current events of what's happening in his life and the loss that he suffered but he's flashing back to this event that he went through with uh this encounter he had when, in his early days as Animal Man we get to see him with the goggles and stuff on mm-hmm. so uh and the the coda of the story the end of the story the way that he brings back uh you know, a, a thread that he he lays early in the story and just hits you like like a punch in the gut at the end of the story, with with, with Buddy. Um, just it reminded me a lot of that that um, the, the issue of Daredevil where he he gets to see like his dad like fight. He get they, okay. they, they get they make that machine so he can see his father fighting. It reminded me of that moment, but but for Buddy with, with what he's been going through. Uh, really, really emotional. I didn't cry, but it was incredibly, incredibly close uh, to, <laughs> to, to crying uh, in, in that moment. It, it's great. It, it's really, really great. Um, it's nice to see that book keeping up at the level uh, that it's at. But much like the G- Gail Simone stuff, things are not good oh. it, for for the Jeff Lemire uh, stable <laughs> of superheroes right now. And in that same vein, I was a bunch of issues behind on his Green Arrow run. I had read the first issue, and then I had just been like, collecting it, you know, and like, I'll read it, I'll read it, and haven't got to it today, I sat down and I read it, and uh, I really liked that first issue, but I felt like it was hamstrung, uh, by what had come before, Uh, and I feel like a lot of the first arc, that he wrote, although it's very good, and he does some really great stuff with it, and brings in new characters, that I feel like, take a position, and he does that thing, which is so hard to do, in, in movies, superhero comics, whatever, is there was a moment, where I really did not think, that Ollie could defeat, the bad guy who was pursuing him. And I love those moments and stories when you, you feel like all hope is lost. Um, and that was great to see. And so I, and it took me by surprise cause I was like there, how is he going to do it? There's no way you can do it. You know, I feel like when I was like a little kid and I was, you know, and in, in, um, empire when, uh, Luke walks out to face Darth Vader, like you're going to die. Like there's no way you can beat him. <laughs> you know i remember having that feeling as a kid in that moment and this i mean wasn't that strong obviously here but it had that same sort of feeling to me um and i'll say this in the last couple of issues with the second arc uh, which has uh, count vertigo as the villain the the art by um andrea sorrentino has he just let loose and it's it it's just crazy you know painterly you know impressionistic stuff doing stuff you don't usually see in superhero books, and it's, reading this, I'm now I now I can see, I'm like, this is why he is doing the art for this book, because the first story, while it's still very good, is very kind of straightforward, you know, superheroics, in, in a lot of ways, or not super heroics, but a, the standard street-level comic book story, and his art is beautiful, but it he doesn't do, like, regular people faces so great, you know, so, mm. or it doesn't, he's a, he, his style does not work for that, so, Seeing this now, where it's the characters are a little bit more bizarre, and he's kind of reined in a little bit the uh, the impressionistic stuff for the faces in this new arc. It, it just it's hitting on all levels for me. Uh, I'm really glad. This one of those books. This is gonna kind of be the week where I, I read a lot of stuff I've been kind of putting to the side because I realized this week I started separating my books by stuff I was like putting to the side and stuff I was reading. And the pile that I'm putting to the side was pretty much as big as the pile Ooh. that I was reading. I was like, I <laughs> need to. I need to to get off this. I need to go through these books and see which ones I still want to keep buying and which ones I don't. Uh, and uh, so Green Arrow was one of those books. I was like, let me see, and I'm done with it. And now I'm excited to go forward and, and see uh, where all this goes. He's doing very cool stuff. But he's <clears throat> he's adding things to the mythology of the character. He's making the island a very important central place. And it's just interesting because I don't know a ton about Green Arrow, so this is kind of this is becoming my Green Arrow. So. And that's nice to see in, in this new run uh, of books.
3: Um, uh, were there any casualties, by the way? Any books go down the drain for you?
2: Not yet. I have, But, I, but to be quite honest, I've been stacking the deck in favor of the books so far because okay. I've been reading
3: the books I kind of know
2: I'm going to want to keep reading. Uh, that was X-Factor, Animal Man, and Green Arrow. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got some other ones that are, you know, on, on, the, on the maybe list that okay. I'm going to go through. Uh, I'll let you guys know more about that next week. Um, uh, Oh, And the other thing too, I want to bring this up, I uh, I read the first two issues of Deadpool Kills Deadpool by uh, Colin Bunn. and Deadpool's a character for me who who's very hit or miss. It's because there's a very specific kind of Deadpool I like. you know, I'd I like him to be madcap. I like him to be crazy, but he has to have an, at least a little bit of an edge of self-awareness a- and realism to him. You know, he can't always be, at, at 11 he's got to come down at least to nine or eight sometimes for me like in a
1: kenny x-force
2: like in a kenny exactly i mean to me that's the model you know of of like the perfect deadpool for me is the uh, reminder on kenny x-force stuff um and you know I, had, I haven't read any of the deadpool kills blank You know, deadpool mm. kills uh the marvel universe i didn't read any of a deadpool kill illustrated all of which are kind of in this this same kind of series of uh, graphic novel, series of miniseries by Colin Bunn who writes these uh, these stories where it's kind of you know multiverse Deadpool, um, and the, the the story of Deadpool Kills Deadpool is, uh, you know, this Deadpool r- realizes th- that there are these infinite number of Deadpools, but then he also realizes that that he is in fact the creation of somebody who's writing him. So, in order to, like, end this existence, he's going to kill all the Deadpools across the multiverse. So, that's what's going on in this story. And you get a Deadpool core, which all have, like, you know, really cheeky names, you know. And, and they always have a pool or dead in them, you know. Um, like, it's, you know, it's like a stegosaurus. It's like detosaurus or whatever, you know. There's better ones than that. There's no one I can remember off the top of my head. Um, and he he basically, they they find our universe, Deadpool, and... They whisk him away because they got to try to stop this rogue, rogue group of Deadpools who are going to try <laughs> and, and kill all of them. Uh, and it's a really madcap story. It's really crazy. Uh, but uh, written by Cullen Bunn, I find Deadpool very palatable. And it made me want to go back and, and read those other miniseries because the, the way he writes this kind of special level of bizarrity is really appealing to me. Because it takes itself seriously enough where the character isn't always like, hey, 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 I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Uh, He's like that sometimes, but he has moments where he's like, guys, come on, you're being ridiculous, like to the other (laughs) Deadpool. And I think that's, I think that was actually the secret is that all these other characters who are so crazy, they let him kind of have levels. Uh, And I I really, really liked that a lot. So I definitely recommend uh, those issues. Anyone who has kind of this same level of like for the character... Uh, and, and, and but wants wants more of him in, in this kind of form. It, it was really really cool. It surprised the hell out of me that it, I liked it as much as I did. Um, and finally, we can obviously cannot uh, leave this segment without talking about Infinity uh, Number One, uh, a Marvel Comics event written by Jonathan <laughs> Hickman with art by Jim Chung, um, and this is the really the first in the post uh, Bendis. Uh, Avengers, you know, world. So we're getting this is the Hickman is the architect of his event. We're going the biggest event in in, in the universe right now, really right off his Avengers and New Avengers stuff. Bob, big
3: Hickman fan. What did you think of Infinity Number 1? I did enjoy it. It's the usual dense Hickman storytelling. I mean, it's going to take all this mini series plus the sidebars probably to tell this story. I am a might disappointed, however, in that it just strikes me as a long issue of Avengers. Mm. Uh, which isn't a bad thing, mm. but it just doesn't seem out there enough to be a, a capital letter in quotes event.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Joey, what about you?
0: I'm inclined to agree, uh, partly because I haven't, again, I'm not up to date on, on Hickman's Avengers stuff, so reading it, I was like, oh, maybe I should have read Avengers in anticipation of this. At the same time, I did really enjoy... Um, kind of the the level of the story and the artwork of course by by Jimmy Chung is fantastic um, I loved his work on Alan Heinberg's young Avengers and every time Jimmy Chung does get some work at Marvel I always want to pick that up because his his level of detail is just so so astounding um, But, you know, I I do agree that for some of this issue, I was a little confused because I didn't really know some of the characters or or the bigger conflicts. What I do think is going forward, I think Infinity um, is going to be heavier. I mean, I don't don't know. This is kind of just me speculating, but I have a feeling that Infinity is going to focus more on Thanos and his doings uh, and attacking Earth. Then it is going to be about the Avengers taking on the Builders, which is kind of the second story arc going on in Infinity. Just because both New Avengers and Avengers are the primary tie-ins to the book, um, so for the rest of the for the rest of the miniseries or the event, as it were, I think it will be more accessible and and it, but it will still have that kind of high level of of storytelling that Hickman is known for, and that frankly is a is refreshing compared to the the Bendis era kind of high octane action street level storytelling that we were getting in Secret War, Secret um invasion. Secret Invasion and mm-hmm. all of those other ones.
2: Yeah, um before I thought Stephanie, did you read Infinity?
4: Not yet. Okay. I haven't even picked it up yet, but <clears throat>
2: Okay. It's I
4: mean sold obviously out. eventually I will.
2: <laughs> I didn't wa- I I didn't want to leave you out and you yell at me. No,
4: no, that's fine. Honestly cool. it is I mean, I think we know how I feel about events for the most part anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So here's the thing. I agree with you, Bob. I do feel like it feels like a giant Avengers issue, but that's actually the reason why I liked it so much. Because to me, it feels like this is the natural extension of what Hickman is doing in the Avengers and New Avengers. It doesn't feel like, okay, now we're going to do an event and everything's going to change. You're going to write, you know, this feels to me like, okay, this is the story he's telling, And this is just the next step, this is the escalation of it, but this is not going to go wildly off the field of what Hickman has been Mm -hmm. doing, you know? And to that extent, I think, and I hear different things from different people, and I've heard people actually not reading Avengers say that they had no problem reading, picking up this book and reading it fresh. Uh, It feels to me the least inclusive of a Marvel number one event that I've read in a while, you know? you know, age of Ultron felt very much like I could give that book to anybody. And as long as they understood kind of who the Avengers were and what like the Terminator is, like they would get what, what that book was about. Right. And the the same for Avengers vs X-Men, all these things, they feel like, yeah, they're confusing a little bit because there are some storylines you don't know, but the characters are big enough and the stories are broad enough as far as the brushstrokes that they're covering, that you could kind of come in and get it, you know? Uh, which is one of the reasons why, obviously, not written by Bendis, but Civil War is so popular because people just go in and they read it.
1: Yeah. Uh, right.
2: <laughs> this does not feel like that to me. This feels like if you're not reading Avengers and New Avengers, you got to go get on board because this is a lot of stuff you're going to deal with there. You know, you're not going to know who, who Smasher is and, and yeah, Ex Nilo and all Ex and who Captain Universe is. These people are not recognizable to, to your, your eyes. You know, uh, Star Brand, all these people.
3: All right? He can make as many charts as he wants. Yeah, it's like like
2: a, help. and a giant that chart list. was
0: overwhelming. Eh? Yeah. Let's be honest. There's yeah. like
2: 50 floating heads on that page. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, things I do love about it. Uh the art goes out saying gorgeous. Uh I love the use I- I've never read anything of the Space Knights before. Love them. I love them already from these couple <laughs> of pages. Uh I thought the the Inhumans part was my it's my favorite part of the book. Was the vignette with the the Inhumans. Yep. Oh yeah. Um l- I've never seen Black Bull without his mask on before. I was like, who's this normal-looking guy who's just <laughs> sleeping in his bed, you know? Um, but I love the way he uses his powers. He, he barely ever uses his powers, you know, in, in, in the books that he's in. So that was very cool. I liked the way that it did, even though I feel like it's a little exclusionary, it does catch you up on the things that have been happening throughout those books enough, I think, so that going forward, you can keep up with it. Um, and the thing I love the most is I loved uh, the use of Abigail Brand in the book. Mm -hmm. I I just, I've always been intrigued by her as a character, never known much about her. I think the design of her is just cool. You know, it looks like she walked out of like an anime, and I think that it, it, it just, it's a very visually striking design. And here I think she does a very good, they do a very good job, but she's tough as nails, but I think she also has kind of a, a, a wry kind of charm to her and the things she says and um, you gotta read Whedon's Astonishing Man that's, I know that's I where know. It's,
0: it's her she's like oh the last like dozen of those issues it's yeah. her
2: you should have heard these guys in the live stream when I was like I haven't read the Astonishing, uh, X- uh, Whedon's Astonishing X-Men it was like I got booed from every corner of the world um it was like I took a heel turn in wrestling uh <laughs> uh but I really really enjoyed it for all of those reasons you know that I'm very... Ex- when it was over... It's a giant book, by the way. It's like 64 pages long. Uh, yeah. Very dense. And I didn't want it to be over. And I wanted the next issue right now. You know? And that is different than I felt about the events. Even Age of Ultron, which I think I liked more than I liked Avengers vs. X-Men. I wasn't like, I can't wait to read the next issue. I was like, okay, that was good. I'll I'll definitely pick up that next issue when it comes out. This one... I am primed and ready. I'm super excited for the tie-in issues of Avengers and New Avengers. I never thought I, I, you know, I would say that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm primed and pumped uh, for this event. I like the direction it was going in uh, with Hickman. And I also, if you guys bought the book uh, either digitally or physically, the code comes with a free copy of the uh, Infinite Comic, which focuses on a scroll um, you know, uh, a scroll world being attacked by these builders and the Silver Surfer shows up. Uh, it's excellent. It's it very, is very good. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> like, I, I read it today and I was floored by it. Uh, Jason Latour is the writer who wrote the, the second arc of, uh, the after Brewbaker arc of Winter Soldier, Winter correct? Winter Soldier. Yeah, which yeah. I know, Joey, that you love uh, a ton. I
1: love.
0: Oh, My heart still, <laughs> you know, weeps every once in a while. <laughs>
2: um, um, and it's paintings, uh, they're really, they're beautiful paintings by Augustine Al- Aliseo, Alessio Um, and it's just like, it's amazing, amazing art. Um, I I was floored by it It was so emotional and and so powerful and so epic. Joey, you, you liked it? Yeah. And I, I love the, I, I bought infinity,
0: um, through comiXology. So I kind of, as I was flipping through infinity and then at the end of infinity, the infinite comic just happened. So it kind of felt like you said, like, "Oh, I'm so bummed it was over." I had the whole Infinite Comic <laughs> kind of right after uh, to follow up. I really enjoyed it. The characterization was was um, fantastic. You know, you don't, you only see these they're like random scroll characters. You know, like yeah. this random scroll um, woman. Is that weird? Scroll woman? I don't know. Yeah, scroll scroll male. Person, I don't know, but <laughs> you see you see the civilians, you see the people on this planet really having no idea what's happening to them, and the Silver Surfer coming down and, and trying to do the best he can. And it really sets up the scope, um, or continues the scope of Hickman's work, um that that really makes this event feel like the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. Even though with Avengers versus X-Men, the stakes, at least they, we were told, were very high with the Phoenix Force and everything and all of that. Hickman's work here and then Jason Latour's work as the kind of tag on the end really sets this up as like like stuff's actually going to go down. Mm-hmm. Like th- Things are bad. And I think part of that is Jason Latour does an excellent job of just giving us essentially civilians and yeah they're aliens but civilians being assaulted by these builders and and their planet really kind of being undone Mm -hmm. and to see that and to see even the silver surfer being a little like whoa this is really intense that Mm -hmm. that that really kind of drove home the point that wow this this event this comic is different than what we've seen
2: yeah, and uh, I love the minimalist approach to the writing as well. And I think it's oh, yeah. to do with the way the, the comic is set up, with the swiping and the, the, the fading in. The pa- the panel's going to present to you almost that motion comic like like thing. I, I, it works so well, and it works especially well because it's The Silver Surfer. So the, the little words having a ton of power is definitely there. But it, it's also very dynamic. Like, he's, he's doing really awesome stuff he's jumping off his board he's you know ripping apart these robots he's you know falling with this robot and he he, you know at one point he says to me my board and the (laughs) board comes and he you know breaks the robot in half and he jumps out it was just awesome stuff um yeah so definitely if you guys have the if you guys bought Infinity and you haven't downloaded the Infinite comic yet definitely check it out because it's definitely definitely worth it um so yeah that is the end uh, of the book of the week segment uh We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back we're going to do some listener questions um, and let you know what's coming out this week. We are back, and uh, this week, you know, we, we always have a lot of listener questions, and we do shows, but we always cover a very minimal amount of them, and, and so we figured we'd just we'd throw some more out there and do some more listener questions, and you guys have sent in a bunch via email and Facebook and everything, so but let's start out with this one. Um, this is from Megan F. on Twitter, and she says, A professor friend has asked me to recommend for one of his classes a current comic or run that is looking to the future. Uh, So in effect, what current comics will provide the retro futurism of 50 years from now? So, Hmm. you know, so kind of like, like for like what the uh, like in the 80s when they were doing movies that took place in 2000 and the world was destroyed. And, you know, um, like like Escape from New York and and stuff like that, where we've gone and passed those days already. And we're not even nearly there. You know, it's that sort of uh, that sort of thing that that I think she's talking about. Hmm. Um,
4: I think I think this person might be a he, actually. Oh, really? I think if okay, apologize it. I apologize right now if not, but I'm pretty sure I met him uh, at San Diego last year.
2: Well, I'm sorry. Then I it's think a he, if not, if
4: this is someone else that I'm thinking of, I apologize profusely. But
2: the Twitter and, handle is at Megan F. So yeah, I'm
4: pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Okay, but like, I I, I might be wrong. Anyways, carry well. on.
2: All right, so we can answer this person whose sex is ambiguous.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> with, with what? I'm just putting it out yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um, the John Byrne miniseries, it just concluded Doomsday Point One. Uh, it certainly has that feel of 70s disaster, mm-hmm. sci-fi, Planet of the Apes, uh, th- that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of passed the time of those sorts of things, so it's retro in that sense of it, I guess. hmm not yeah. exactly the answer to that question, but mm-hmm. it's as close as I'm going to come, I it. No,
2: I think something like like The Massive or The Wake, I think, are books that deal with near futures that things have gone very, very badly. I think The Massive is probably more akin to that because The Massive is more a natural disaster that happens, like The Wake, which is obviously a more supernatural thing um, yeah. that's going on. Uh, so those are the things that spring to mind initially for me. I don't know, Joey, if you think of anything. It's tough
0: because the only things that I can think of that have that kind of future setting are all those big kind of dystopian fiction stories where it's like 20 years down the line but the world is terrible because of some sort of, you know, disaster, or virus or something or other. Um I can't really think of anything that's like a like like what Trans Metropolitan was when it came out. You know, I can't really think of anything out now that is speaking twenty years down the line.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um. Okay. Sorry. Oh wait, were you still? No, no I'm thinking of something. Okay. So just once more, it was looking for titles of stuff like in the future that's set, set in, the future?
2: in the future. You know, that, that's set in Kay. near future. That in fifty years, they'll be like, oh, that's what they thought the future was going to be like. You know, that kind okay. of thing. Okay.
4: Well, there's um. Curtis Weeb did the mini series uh with image debris. Okay. Which is set in the future. Um, basically like you know, we've destroyed Earth with pollution and stuff and
0: Yeah, wilding is the same way.
4: Um Yeah. That's the like sort of um, sky pirate thing, right?
0: Yeah, which is great, but it's again, it's that sort of like dystopian. Like we've destroyed the world, <laughs> so now we have to fly in the sky, which is great. But I just don't know if like I don't know if that's what they're looking for. I don't mm-hmm. know.
2: Right.
4: There's we- also profit too, but I don't know if
2: that's that's a little farther in the future, though, right? I mean, there's always th- that's that's the, it's, it's got it's like a fine line, you know, to to pick. Private um, eye. Private Eye, I was going to say Private Eye, yeah. Private Eye, the Brian K. Vaughan Marcos uh, Martin uh, uh, digital comic deals uh-huh. with a very near future. And in fact, we're like, you know, people who are around like 30 years old now will be in their old age then. Um, so that is probably a good thing to look at because that probably has a lot of what you're going to be looking for. Uh, has kind of that Blade Runner influence to it and and definitely has a very recognizable world just with, you know, some tweaks and stuff to it um yeah. that's it's a really interesting question you know but the thing is like what joey is saying a lot of them are dystopian future stuff like you could make the argument though that what that
0: means 50 years down the line is people are going to look back and be like man People thought we weren't even gonna get here. Yeah, you know, people thought that the world was just gonna end. You know, so yeah. uh, maybe that's that's kind of where it's gonna be because dystopian fiction's like super hot right now. You look mm-hmm. at things like the Hunger Games. You know, mm-hmm. like that is futuristic, but it's a realistic future, I guess you could say. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's all over the place. I've I've had that kind of conversation with my students too about how and why this brand of future. Fu- like science fiction future stories it's so negative in terms of how it presents the world in fifty years and and where we're going to be
3: yeah well, well, it's an interesting cycle. It seems to have come up twice the fifty sci fi movies and books you mm-hmm. know whether so seemingly some of the ones that were more mainstream on the beach mm-hmm. or whatever we we're, were worried about nuclear destruction it came around again through the eighties yeah we were very again true. faced with the same thing, so yeah. is it the economic collapse we're in now as opposed to that sort of world war.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at a lot of the dystopian stuff now. It has a lot to do with like, you know, the rich have are, are mm-hmm. like a look at Elysium that just came out. A lot of things are the rich are fine, but this growing, you know, this this growing mass of people who aren't fine. The 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 poverty section is getting bigger, and that leads to disaster. Yeah, yeah and the same right.
3: director as District Nine. right? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you look at like Greg Rucka's Lazarus. I think is is similar to that. That is uh, uh, again. A sort of more uh, grounded look, even though it deals with some crazy genetics and, and stuff like that. It deals with that same situation where we've gotten to like a more like a feudal state. Um, but, yeah, I think Joey and Dre, I think in the future, they're going to be like, wow, they did not think highly of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'll get that kind of atomic punk of the 50s, you know, with the yeah. kind of Jetsons-type yeah. stuff future. I don't think we're going to get that anymore unless unless all of a sudden we have this burst of optimism about our future.
3: Yeah. I'm still mad. I don't have my flying car. I don't have yeah. my personal jetpack. I mean, come on, guys, get on it.
2: Where the hell is my hoverboard? Yeah. Where the hell help. is my hoverboard? <laughs> <laughs> because if... Freaking kids were using them in, in mass market in 2015, and, and and you know Back to the Future. Yeah. Then they were obviously around years before that, before they got to the what we know about technology. There was obviously yeah. like the the two thousand dollar version that only like you know rich, well to do like could adults have, yeah. could have, you know. And then every time it gets to Mattel making it, it's got to be around for a while. So we're already behind the times. Where right. where's my my self drying jacket? <laughs> <laughs> the Marty McFly had. Um so g- really good question uh thanks to at, uh Megan F on Twitter whether you're a man or a woman. Great question. Uh this is from um Damian and he he has the kind of a, just a funny question. He says uh he says the current X-Men is the first time I've ever followed a book as it comes out. How do you put up with the waiting? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's that's what it that's what being in comics is all about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: well If you only read one book, it's probably tough. But yeah. If, you know, you get the week every week. You get a different story, so yeah. the, the weight isn't as bad.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So buy more books. That's. The-
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Re- re-read it. Yeah. I you know, back when there weren't all so many books, there were so many outlets, or and my uh, collected pile wasn't quite so big. You just reread the things over and over again, which is unfortunately why I had to buy some of them over again as mm-hmm. an adult because I had wrecked them. Right. You <laughs> got all spine-rolled and destroyed and got meatball on them and stuff.
1: <laughs>
2: um, this comes from uh, Carl Warner, and he says, I'm actually writing for some assistance. My Marvel collection is awesome and I love it, but it's very expensive and it's taking up a ton of space. I basically collect key issues, first appearances and the like. I now want to put together all of the major Marvel story arcs, Korvac Saga, Kree Skull War, stuff like that, in, in, in trade paperback hardcover format. I want to have it available for my son, who is currently one years old, to read and have for reference once he hopefully gets into comics. Now I need your suggestions to round that out. Here's what I have, or at least have, on my list. Kree Skull War, Korvac Saga, Infinity Gauntlet, Evolutionary War, Mutant Massacre, Acts of Vengeance, Age of Apocalypse, Onslaught, House of M, Secret Invasion, Civil War, Annihilation, War of King, Realm of Kings... Thanos Imperative, AVX, and Age of Ultron, and he also has the full run of Amazing Spider-Man. Impressive. He has all that already. He has all that um, already, or it's all on his list as far as the stuff he, he wants to get.
3: Bob, I'm going to go to you first. Okay, look, you have to have uh, the Galactus Trilogy, yeah. and it is available in one of those twenty-four ninety-five versions of the archives, so you don't have to buy a, or Masterworks, so you don't have to buy a $70 okay. one. Uh, I would also suggest it's in trade paperback. It was in a hardcover for a bit. Uh, the Avengers Defenders War, which was the Marvel event of 1973. Mm. It bounced back and forth between the two books because Steve Englehart wrote both. And they weren't doing annuals that year. So we said, well, I'll make it a special thing. I'll do this. And so with the Fearless Defenders out and having met fractions just as we spoke about before, it's very much that vibe. It's Hawkeye has changed sides. It's gotten booted out of one team, shows up <laughs> on the other, and Bad stuff happens looking for the (laughs) John's evil eye. He has all the Spider-Mans. I think you want, just to to inform the movie, you want the, I think it was Bob Layton, Demon in a Bottle from Mm -hmm. Iron Man. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, I Uh, have that. You can get that as a collection, too.
3: Mm -hmm. I definitely think you need Daredevil Electra. Mm, you need that whole thing for from that yeah uh days of future past certainly phoenix saga Mm -hmm.
4: we should have just one at a time (laughs) now you've taken like the only ones i wanted to (laughs) buy. i'm so sorry
1: okay (laughs) okay. i'll shut up go (laughs) ahead
4: no 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 i I literally have nothing else to add in
2: what were the ones you were going to say stephanie that he said though
4: i was going to like talk about the phoenix saga oh
2: okay yeah go ahead well no well
4: i don't have any
2: but why do you think it's essential for him to get
4: I don't know. It's like, for me, it ties into all the things that I kind of grew up with that were comics related. So, I mean, obviously, like the initial run of X-Men is pretty close to, you know, X-Men the animated series and what they put out there. And then, you know, the X-Men movies and X-Men The Last Stand is obviously heavily formed around, um, you know, the Phoenix Saga. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that you can appreciate as a comics reader. Um, and then you kind of see it come to life in a couple of different um, adaptations on you know tv mm-hmm. i guess it's like the silver screen is that what the tv stuff is
3: no the is movies screen. The, the movies and silver, t- silver
2: screen
4: oh okay the well, boob tube <laughs> yeah the, <boob> <laughs> the idiot box yeah. and you know yeah. yeah
3: now one thing i'll add beyond getting the phoenix saga there was i'm sure it's available a so back issue it was phoenix the untold story yeah where they went back to Claremont martin burns original before jim shooter made mm-hmm. them take out the phoenix and you get to see the way the story really ended, because mm-hmm. they basically had a week to redo an entire book.
2: Oh wow, wow, that's crazy!
4: I totally just got like this one shot too, on the weekend um, at this really random sci-fi store that popped up in my small town, and they randomly had miscellaneous comics too. But I got like the What If Phoenix hadn't died.
1: Hmm. Ooh, I remember yeah. that one.
4: hmm. along where I almost bought the Punisher Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever.
2: Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, Joey, what about you? Did he say he had the House of M on there? Yeah. He did say House of M, yeah. House of M, yeah. Um, didn't
0: seem like he had the Messiah stuff from the X-Men run. Was that on was that his list? Uh, I don't think so. Give
2: me a second. Uh, no. No.
0: Yeah, the, that's when I really started picking up. So it has a special affinity in my heart. But I think it's some really great storytelling in the aftermath of the House of M stuff and the No More Mutants, the Messiah complex into the Messiah War, which he can probably skip, and then the Second Coming stuff. That whole kind of arc, as I was reading it, you know, week to week, it was just so enthralling. And to see my favorite characters, the X Men, kind of go through this stuff um, was, was really great. Um Didn't Atlantis attack at some point? Wasn't that a big thing? Did did, did, he have that? I know there's an omnibus of the Atlantis attacks issues. No, I don't
3: think he had that on the list. No, he didn't. That was pretty good. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, And if you want some fun stuff, and I know we were talking about the Inhumans before, the Inhumans, um, I think David Hines wrote a book called Silent War a couple of years ago. It was a relatively contemporary story, but it's with the Fantastic Four and the Inhumans. That was a fun little trade that, that he might want to get in there as well. Um, and the Secret Wars. I didn't hear Secret Wars on there. All the Secret Wars. Secret Wars 1, 2, <laughs> Bendis' Secret
2: War. It's all fun. It's all good times.
3: <laughs> no Contest of the Champions?
2: Yeah, man. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff, absolutely. Um, I mean you know there's obviously the stuff you know there's these giant things that uh, that obviously you can find a lot of places i mean i think that we talked about earlier on the show but i think that uh greg rucka's punisher run oh yeah is is absolutely fantastic i think uh avengers children's crusade although not seemingly a big deal has a lot of ripples throughout Mm -hmm. everything that's going on in the marvel universe well all of heinberg's young avengers i would pick up right right um uh, Spider-Man Blue, which isn't part of making Spider-Man it's, its own side story and it doesn't have a lot of, it, obviously it's kind of out of continuity but it's one of the best stories I think I've ever read as, as far as comic book mm. goes so I, I think that's something you absolutely um, need to pick up and uh, the, the, I, I think the, the death of Peter Parker into the new Ultimate Comic Spider-Man stuff with Miles I think is must read stuff um, and also I love the Bendis uh, Daredevil stuff as well. I think that's yeah. fantastic.
3: Oh, can I add two more? Yeah, absolutely, oh, absolutely. You beat me to it. Go uh,
0: going back to the Claremont, but God loves man Kill. Just going to say that one, you creep. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and Kitty Pride and Wolverine Yeah, is a, is a great run too. That's good stuff.
3: Uh, Death of Captain Marvel, which is the, Marvel's mm. first graphic novel, especially with all the Thanos stuff yeah, coming out now. absolutely. And yeah. you want some Starlin, Captain Marvel, and Warlock too.
2: Right. And, oh, and uh, uh, the Brubaker Return of Winter Soldier stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. my heart yeah your, your heart <laughs> <laughs> oh that's pretty funny mm. Mm. all right uh awesome so hope we gave you some stuff there and let, let us know what you've picked up and, and what you end up um really enjoying uh we got an email from uh adam estep and it's it's the subject is fun comics he says hey guys a few things I just wanted to point out how fun Marvel has been lately. I'm really enjoying their titles. Again, this is coming from Adam. We didn't plant this email. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly who said it, but I remember it being, uh, it being talked about, about how Marvel doesn't take risks. DC does, but they cancel their books too soon. I agree with DC canceling their books too soon, but I have to disagree about Marvel not taking risks. Books like Hawkeye, um, you know, FF, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Nova are all fun and exciting books and are all very different. Most of them can be read and enjoyed without any tie in event books. Obviously, a few have tie-in books, but I, can, I can't help but look at the big two and see that Marvel has embraced the fun side of comics again. Um, he's saying exactly what Bob said, you know, when he reads the DC books, they can to be very dark. Uh, he would love to see a fun Booster Gold team-up series, have him, have him constantly run into the Demon Knights or Guy Gardner and get annoyed with it, make some ongoing jokes like Hawkeye did with Pizza Dog and the tracksuit Bro Mafia. His character is perfect for this kind of book, uh, but sadly, I doubt that will happen. We will get months of villains, more leagues and societies that I can't keep up with. Um, uh, what would you think about a Hawkeye type book
3: starring Booster Gold? Bob, it would be perfect because mm. he is the outsider mm-hmm. that can make the comment from, yeah, distanced perspective. So that'd be a lot of fun. We they keep canceling books; there are slots open, yeah, and it would be fun to have them filled with something lighter. I mean, someone asked me. A question that I answered very snarky at one point: What character missing from the new Fifty Two would you like to see? And <laughs> uh, the real answer: I'd love to see the Metal Men back uh-huh. because then that was a way to have a, it was a fun, lighter book all mm-hmm. through its run, no matter who did it. And those sorts of things are exactly what would change the perspective of the entire line. You could mm-hmm. always have that as a go-to. Booster mm-hmm. Gold is is so perfect, though.
1: Yeah,
2: it seems like since his be popped up in the All Star Western, the Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, uh, Justin Grey uh All-Star Western book it seemed to get a lot of pop when when he was in there and it seems to get a lot of um momentum and I th- I've heard there there's been plenty of rumors of him getting his own mm-hmm. his own book which would be great because you can't help but that character B uh have that lighter right. lighter touch to him.
3: I think we'll see lighter with the Palmiotti uh oh, Harley planning.
2: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh Joey, are you a fan of Booster Gold?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting that you say uh, that the the asker questioner Mm. the person i don't know (laughs) uh said you know oh we're gonna get months of villains and all of this and that when like before the new 52 happened i feel like the big two were flipped just thinking about when i was reading marvel five or six years ago the storylines were very dark running through most of the books i can't really think of too many of the the brighter books that were going on, aside from maybe the the Marvel Adventure stuff. I mean, I wasn't reading DC mm. at the time, so I don't know if if they were the the happier time. But I'm I, I I hadn't really thought about how Marvel now kind of I don't want to say brightened up, but but brought back some some brighter storylines. From what I know about Booster Gold and and the the comic book guy at, at my old uh, comic shop where I used to live, loved Booster Gold, and I think part of it was um, the humor and the, the potential for those more um, quirkier stories. And I think more of that on either side of the aisle is, is worthwhile because you get a lot of indie books that do that. You know, it's just mm-hmm. going back to, like, that monkey brain stuff that I've been reading, um, Bandette is great for that, and, and the Amelia Cole book was great for that too, that kind of brighter, uh, but those still serious Comic storytelling. Um, I think that there is a market for that, and I'd be interested in seeing everybody do more of that.
4: Yeah. And we mustn't forget when we talk of monkey brain, action cats. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
2: oh man! man.
0: Um, see, I, I couldn't see you pitching an action cats book to like a DC or a Marvel.
2: You know. <laughs> Here's the question too. We talk about we get this question a lot, and we talk about a lot. And I've been th- I've been thinking about it this week, and I begin to think: Does it even like because of all these great indie books and them filling out the thing, does it even matter as much? I mean, it matters to us in theory because we love these companies. We want to see these characters done like this. But in the broader scope, since these other companies are doing it so, so well, does, does it matter if these big two do it or not? I'm just wondering. Like, yeah. I, just, I just think about it. is Not that it matters. Is it as important that they do it considering we have all of these other companies doing it?
3: I say absolutely it is because the market penetration of those smaller books mm-hmm. and and their ability to get them into the hands of people into the into enough stores, just very very small. You're looking at, at books that sell five six thousand copies, not counting My Little Pony and some of those some of these smaller books. Are, the numbers are awful. I'm sure they're profitable, mm-hmm. but for to have a mass media company put out something that is definitely for kids mm-hmm. and def- and not for tykes but for kids yeah. of all ages be perfect and use their real characters in, in, in an interaction with them. Mm-hmm. It sells yeah. your real books too to a new yeah. generation of readers. And yeah, that's right. so it's important from that standpoint. And I think uh, you mentioned Marvel Adventures before, Joey. In that period, those Marvel Adventure books was the o- were the only Marvel books worth reading. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean they're doing the kind of share everything or whatever it's called. Share your universe. Mar- yeah, for for kids. But I think the what the questioner's saying is why can't There be a legitimate all-ages book that Mm -hmm. has humor and a brightness Mm -hmm. to it that appeals to everyone. Yeah, you know, and I think that I think that's to Bob's point too. If you have that, then I think one of the great stuff about the the original kind of golden age Marvel, silver age Marvel, or whatever, is that parents were reading them with their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I think you could you can't do that. With the mainline books right now coming out of the big two, or most of the mainline books coming out of the big two.
3: Mm-hmm. No, I had an exchange of letters with somebody at one point. We were debating this issue, and he was mentioning that you know he couldn't show his seven-year-old the Green Lantern animated comic because it would be the gateway to want to read real Green Lantern, mm-hmm. which you couldn't show to her. Right, yeah. And my answer was, when I was seven, reading the John Broom, Gil King, Green Lantern was mm. just fine. Mm-hmm. Everything was all ages, and yeah. we have moved past that. Yeah. And that isn't an issue, provided there is still the all ages platform for everybody right. else. You
2: don't, you don't want to bring everything down No, to the, absolutely there, not. But you just want the, you want the whole spectrum to be there. But I think the problem
4: is um, there's this complex with higher-ups now that they want comics to be taken seriously. You know, there's this... I think this fear that, you know, if our movies aren't serious, uh, at least Mm -hmm. on DC's part, the, the comics themselves won't be taken seriously. So they're kind of trying to give them these very dark and, um, you know, literature esque tones to them and, you know, presenting a lot of grown up themes and all these other things in an effort to kind of be like, see, we can be classy. We can be considered, you know, we can be stuff for libraries. Mm-hmm. The um, Watchmen,
0: you know. Yeah, effect, exactly. As it were.
4: Exactly, it's exactly like that because you know, Watchmen is on the list of what, like, the hundred best pieces of literature of like all time. Of all time, yeah. 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 And there's this need, I think, for them to be like, we want to be taken seriously, and I don't blame them. Like, it, I, I think it's, it, it's good that they want these books to be something more, that's something people can carry with them. And be just kind of dive into and be like, wow, look at this. I missed this the first time around and make them deep. But they are losing stuff with, you know, you can be smart and fun at the same time.
2: Yeah, no, and absolutely. Age
4: appropriate and all this stuff. But I, I can kind of see as like an outside, you know, just what they're kind of doing, but they are definitely missing you know, something.
2: Yeah, I think they just, I, I think it's just, and I think this happens to a lot of industries at, at different times. They're just, their reaction to do it is just taking them too far w- one way. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think Marvel is better about this, but I don't think, like, I, I don't, I think there, some of the books are more fun, but not many of their books are books that you would read to a six year old. You know, it, it, no. it's just, no. that's not the yeah. way it is, you know, and I don't want people to think that we're saying, like, Marvels is all ages Wonderland, and DC no, is
3: they have yeah. one. No, yeah, FF might be maybe the closest yeah. they have to an all it, ages it, book exactly. of the old days.
0: And he some of their more Intel. prominent books, like a Captain Marvel or something like the ones that we talk about all the time, yeah. are those kind of books. But they have a whole line of books that you would not. Yeah,
4: eat. I mean, there's still stuff coming out of. Keep in mind that IDW and Dark Horse and um, Image are stuff that are carried in most bookstores now too, mm-hmm. and are a lot more accessible. I mean. While the full line of stuff, you know, Oni and like Arkea and Boom aren't typically carried in, you know, Barnes and Noble or here in Canada in chapters, um, Image and all that have progressed. Mm-hmm. And they are in those stores. And we are getting things like the Dark Horse's new Itty Bitty Hellboy. Mm-hmm. And we do get those other things. So I, I do believe that there is room for these kids' books in DC and Marvel. But I don't necessarily agree that they have to do it when, you know, these other companies are starting to seep into our major chains.
2: Mm-hmm. I just think it's a, I think it's gonna be a problem for them down the line. I don't even, you know, I, I think, I, I think we're savvy enough now or you can point and listen, like I, I know I have friends who have kids who would much rather read an adventure time comic than read a Spider-Man comic, you know, and that's regardless of tone and tenor of those books and knowing age appropriateness. Um, I just think I, I I don't like I said like even like like Captain Marvel is a, a fantastic book. But there's some deep scary shit that happens in Captain yeah. Marvel that I necessarily maybe wouldn't want to read to a, a, a small child. Yeah. She has a brain tumor yeah. basically yeah. through most of that book. Yeah. you know that's some that's kind of scary. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, I I just and like books like it's funny because books like Little Gotham and books like Superman Family Adventures are great reads. And you, I don't want to I don't want to like denigrate anything that they do because they're fantastic, but they are kind of put off into a corner that says these are kids' books, you know. And, and it'd be nicer just a move towards for both companies having a book that that it, just maybe one main title that uh, that could be shared by both. But again, this is a, a a problem of degrees, and I think the fact that all these companies are around making these great other books mitigates the problem a little bit because you you can go okay here's a, this 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 this. And then when you're old enough, here's this, this, this and this. So yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a complicated topic, and I think there's no simple answer to it, but um, I, Stephanie, I think your point was fantastic, though, about the watchmen and the need to be taken seriously. I think that's a great point. Um, we had a, Speaking of dark themes, we had a listener read right in Joe Kelly. He says, um, he said, "I have a question based on an argument with a friend." Does Wolverine get away with things that other characters can't, and why isn't he held accountable? Um, If killing people to prevent bad things... He has a a long email here, but a lot of it's kind of spoilery, so I don't want to say too much about it. Um, If killing people to prevent bad things from happening in spite of the objections of his peers is just part of Wolverine's nature, that's understandable. What I don't get is why no one acts like a hero and forces him to answer for his sins the way other characters do. So, Especially
0: when Spider Man's like, We have to get the Punisher because he's so <laughs> terrible. <laughs>
3: yeah. Spider Man is not like the Punisher. <laughs> well, he was out to kill him the first time he showed up. <laughs> it's true. So. Well, that's true. There's a grudge
0: yeah. there. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot and I've thought about that particularly during the uh, uh Avengers versus X Men stuff mm-hmm. for, you know, reasons that revolve primarily around Cyclops is, was right. I mean, let's face it, but I won't get into that. Uh, but um yeah it's just him you know it's weird kind of talking about these characters like they're real people but it's part of his <laughs> his characterization and everything and i think i think i think but i don't think that writers and some of the better writers that have told wolverine stories they have thought about this and they put wolverine at odds with a lot of of his teammates a lot of the time um and i think that uh what mitigates it partly is that kind of noble samurai story that kind of runs through um the wolverine character there was the one issue of Remenders on Kenny x-force where he had it was like the silent issue mm-hmm. with magneto and he takes the samurai sword and he does the whole thing i don't remember the specifics of it but i was like that issue was is awesome <laughs> uh because it kind of showed the kind of samurai element of it um but yes wolverine's a bad dude he does a lot of bad stuff um and if he had got held accountable, maybe just get Graham Morrison to write The Trial of the Wolverine after he's done with The Trial of Wonder Woman. How about that? There you
3: go. There you go. Uh, in the Age of Ultron, uh, Sue Storm did not act like Sue Storm. And she yep. would not have let that happen. She'd have had more to say about it without trying to spoil anything mm. here. Uh,
4: I totally agree with you. Mm. Like, sorry, you finish. No go, no, go ahead. No.
3: Like,
4: I think the problem for me in again, specifically like Age of Ultron and AVX with the case of Wolverine, Sue, and um, Cyclops is that writers and creators, I mean, these characters, obviously they're just characters, they're fictional, and a lot of the times we do see them held accountable, especially in the effects or in the aftermath of AVX. But for me, those characters weren't acting like their characters, and these creators, I don't know whether it was the executives that kind of are like, we want this story, make this happen. This is the end. Mm -hmm. This is the end game or whatever. But like those things, I can't take them seriously because the characters, the version of those characters that I know, that's not them. You know, like it, it, Wolverine is a bad dude. Like he just does his own thing. And most of the time it's for the greater good. And then sometimes it's just for selfish reasons, but I don't know, in these particularly, or in the last few events, they just, they just don't have the same impact. Because I'm like, yeah, you're, that, no, no, no. Hmm. Anyways.
2: You said
3: I, that much better than I could have, so thank <laughs> you very much.
2: Um, you know what, I, I think, and as Joey mentioned before, uh, but again, we, I bring this up, I feel like every other podcast, but the Remender and Kenny X4 stuff does deal a little bit with Wolverine and his team, do something that's not very savory, and we do deal with consequences. We deal with consequences of that in Uncanny Avengers, and, and some other places as well. Um, you know, I think it's the same reason, I mean, you in something, you talk about the Punisher is a character that gets maligned by a lot of characters, but you don't really see characters doing very much about it very often. I mean, the the, the Punisher Warzone, which ended Greg Greco's run, de- dealt with that, Avengers going, okay, look, we can't do this anymore. We can't let this killer walk around. We have to stop him. Uh, but I think it's more of that situation and look, it happens in real life too. You know, some, you have a friend who you have certain expectations of if they do something in those expectations, that is kind of bad, but you're like, well, that's that person, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, but have another yeah. friend who you hold to a higher standard and they just make that, then you're like, what the hell is wrong with you? You know? So there becomes, there's degrees, you know? And I think with Wolverine and again, it's, we are talking about them like real people, but, uh, it, Wolverine, the the people in the university exist and know the way he is. And if he's going to be on a team with them, th- that's the action that he's going to take. Um, when, so. when Bendis started his new Avengers run
0: way back when and kind of relaunched and put Wolverine on the team, there was the kind of hubbub about, oh, Wolverine can't be an Avenger. But what Bendis kind of wrote into the story was Cap going to Wolverine and essentially saying, like, look, in this world, in this modern world or whatever, Spin Captain America put on it. He basically said, "Like you're the guy that does what needs to be done, and we need you on that team." You know, um, so I think they they tried to validate it that way, kind of going along with what you're mm-hmm. saying. Like that's the expectation of who Wolverine is. He's a noble guy. He'll be on our team. He's not like the Punisher, who does the exact same things. Who's kind of a loose cannon, vengeance kind of guy. So I don't know. Like they tra- they kind of tried to write in this justification about in this world, this is what we need.
3: deal. Except to me, Cap wouldn't say that.
0: Yeah, well... As someone who
3: just had to drop Cap because he acts not like Captain America in even his own book, it was sort of oh, I... That started to turn me off all those years ago. How how many years back is that, anyway?
0: Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think Iron Man said it to Cap, and Cap was like, no, I'm going to eat my bagel if I had to think about it. I don't know. I read it a long time ago. So it may have been Iron Man. I don't want to malign Cap here.
4: I think all the characters are just kind of held to different standards. I mean, like... The Scarlet Witch is still living down shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's in almost every, in every book, there's someone who's like, what's she doing here? (laughs) And, like, you know, people freaking out about it. And, you know, Emma Frost used to be a big, you know, bitchy whore. And, you know, now she, like, runs things. And it's just all over the place. People are held to different standards in comic books. And it's, I mean, they are fictional. But things like that happen. People are in real life, too. They just get held to different
2: standards. Mm Mm-hmm absolutely absolutely um so uh yeah um adam eastup actually he had a a bottom to his question when he asked before about uh about fun books and he would he really wants to know our opinion on uh star wars and what we think uh, what we think about the future and how we're excited we talked a little about this uh, a couple months like months ago when they announced it but uh he wants to get our feeling on uh, the upcoming J.J. Abrams films and the possibility of spinoff films w- with uh, other characters. Uh, Joey, w- w- what are your thoughts on Star Wars?
0: Uh, you're Talking about the Star Wars comic coming out? No, no, oh, no. The,
2: he talk, he's talking about movies. Oh, just the whole thing. Yeah.
0: Um, it's whatever. You know, I love Star Wars, and I, I have the you know the VHSs. Going back to nice. the VHS, right? Um, and, and I was a kid when they remastered them and re released them. And that was kind of my first exposure to them. My dad showed me the originals because he saw them and everything. And when they announced the kind of new series, I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I, I, I won't say I was burned by the prequels because I, you know, I saw them too when I was a kid. And, and that was kind of like uh, part of my experience with it. But, you know, with J.J. J. Abrams behind it, it it got pushed back again, so I feel like they don't really even know what exactly they're interested in doing with the film. I don't know. I don't know. I'll just wait and see, I think, on my part. I'm not as pumped as I am. Kind of going back to the kick-ass conversation, right? I'm not as pumped as uh, when, when the first bunch came out, mm-hmm. but, you know, we'll see.
3: Mm-hmm. What about you, Bob? I've been burned by first Mr. Lucas with making the whole thing into a, a pimping toy playground. Uh, you know, how much stuff can I sell <laughs> on these movies and the, the, those terrible prequels? Uh, and then the fan base itself, the, it turned it into a religion, which got to, is a little bit much too, especially when the quality of them went down and down and down. I think J.J. Abrams is perfectly suited to do this properly. Mm-hmm. So I... I not Pumped is about where I would be, but I'd be interested to see what he does with the original actors and how you deepen the story, pretending those prequels never happened, and go from there. Right. I'll be there. I don't know if it'll be the first day, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll probably go see it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, J.J. Ramis is my favorite like people in the world, so I'm definitely excited about <laughs> it. Um, uh, and I'm ex—I'm intrigued by the idea of spinoff films. A Boba Fett film. uh, if it's made by Joe Johnson who's been talking about making that movie for i don't know how long now 20 years probably uh, you know getting different corners different eras i, I, I think there's definitely meet, there's meaty stories there to be explored um, i i will you know i will say that the, the, like everyone else that said so far the idea of star wars doesn't get me as excited anymore just because we've gone through all of the stuff and it's no longer the shining thing from my childhood it's been a little bit you know, marred. I mean, I still love the original movies, and uh, I, I think some of the cartoons, especially, have been very, very good that they've released um, in, in this modern era. But and it's still so immaterial now. It's it's it, it's a name, you know, it's a number, not even a name, and a director who I really like, uh, and a writer who has written one thing that I really liked. So I, I I can't. I don't have. It's not real to me yet. So I don't have that giant feeling of excitement. Seventy. What about you?
4: I think you basically just said everything that I kind of feel about it. But it's one of those things where we can all go, meh. But Star Wars is going to be blasted at our faces as soon as they're, you know, amping up for the release. And I know I'm going to get sucked into the hype and be like, I am so happy! <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm going to go see this because everyone is so freaking excited! Yeah. And like, I know I'll get sucked into that because that love for the franchise... Is infectious. It really is. And, like, as long as you're not someone who vehemently hates it, you'll wind up getting sucked into it, too. You know you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, we're, i I see it, you know? No,
4: no, 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 no. I know, but, like, I mean, as far as the meh goes, you know, yeah. as I think as long as it doesn't look like a piece of poop, <laughs> then it'll be something that as more information gets released and, you know, uh, set photos and Clips and teasers and blah, 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 blah,
2: blah. It'll be. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if that, the, the day, I mean, obviously the, if there's a great teaser poster for it, I'll be excited, you know, but the moment, if it's a, if it's a kick-ass teaser trailer, that will be the moment where I'm like, okay, Mm. I, now I'm really excited. So that is the moment when, when it will definitely, definitely happen. Um, uh, we got this question a while ago. Actually, this is almost over a month ago from Maxfield uh, on Twitter, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, and he says, "Hey, TC Crew community, I have just finished Mark Wade and Alex Ross's Kingdom Come, highly recommended, and was wondering where a new Justice League fan might go from there. Suggestions?
4: Well, well if he hasn't read Justice yet, go to Justice.
2: Cool. <laughs> All right, uh, cool Justice, which is again very similar mm-hmm. um, tone and tenor and look, obviously. Uh,
3: Justice League Year One." which was Mark Waid, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, Alan Davis' is The Nail, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is an alternate future, mm-hmm. kind of back and forth. They have printed in trade paperbacks, I think, at this point, almost all, if not all, the JLA, JSA crossovers at this point. They're all mm-hmm. Crisis on Infinite Earths volumes, 1 right. through whatever, which were each summer's two-issue crossovers i'd mm-hmm. certainly go there i guess porter's run in the 90s
2: yeah, yeah porter and well, and morrison are the the team there which brought back the big the big time heroes mm-hmm. um the j uh the jsa stuff with the johns did um mm-hmm. with goyer i think was doing it at first and then it was just johns for, for a while
3: <laughs> there's some bill willingham in there too
2: yeah <laughs> mm. uh <laughs> 70 mm, uh, just, <laughs> it's uh great great stuff um you know, and if you're if you want stuff like that, uh, you know, I always check out the 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 big crises, you know, events. It's always good to read those things to kind of get the lay of the land in the in the many years uh, of DC. Justice League as a team, though, is something I'm not, you know, particularly familiar with as far as long runs or anything like that I just have never gone back and read too much of it. Um, I know that. Busick did a run that was it's pretty it's pretty well liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so Joey, do you have suggestions?
0: No, I was going to the the Kirk Busick one was 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 one that stuck out in my head. I don't read much um Justice League, but I know that that one was very good.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Cool. Awesome, awesome. And Stephen, do you have I don't know if you're a Justice League fan, so I don't know if you read anything other than
4: Um I mean little bits and pieces and stuff, but Justice is not just one of my favorite Justice League comics, but one of my favorite comics and one of the first big comics that really, you
1: know
2: sucked me in cool awesome awesome and oh and the uh, what new frontier the uh, darwin quick stuff is is freaking great so definitely check that stuff out um so yeah i i think uh that's gonna be it for our listener questions thank you guys before we
0: i just want to i found the wolverine in the avenger scene and it was tony stark that was like cap we should put wolverine on the team and cap was like he's a murderer tony so straight up I guess the characters were a little on point there so (laughs) you you
2: were right there (laughs) there we go that Tony he's such a scoundrel Tony Stark he's such a scoundrel um so that's it for uh listener questions uh thank you guys for writing in again um just so you know, like we do listener question shows, but we're also going to answer questions uh, on the off weeks too—the weeks that we're not doing just shows focused on that. So keep writing your questions in podcast at talkingcomics dot com, uh, at talking comics on Twitter and Facebook dot com slash talking comics. Um, what is on the shelves right now? Um, from, let's see, uh, Avatar Press, we have Cross Badlands, number 35, Night of the Living Dead, Aftermath, number 10, uh, from Boom Studios, Adventure Time, number 19, Bravest Warriors, number 11, um, from Dark Horse, we have BPRD, Hell on Earth, number 110, which is the start of a new storyline, Lake of Fire, part one of five, uh, Blood Brothers, number two of three. Uh, the trade paperback of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow Wonderland, which is is awesome. Uh, Conan nice. the Barbarian, number 19. Creepy Comics, number 13. Dark Horse Presents, number 27. Dream Thief, number 4. Uh, we've got Lobster Johnson, Ascent of Lotus, number 2. Um, we've got Star Wars Dark Times, A Spark Remains, number 2 of 5. Star Wars Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, number 5 of 5. And Strain the Fall, number 2. From DC Comics, we have 100 Bullets, Brother Lono, number three of eight, Animal Man, number 23, Arrow, number 10, Batman 66, number two, Batman and Nightwing, number 23. Um, We've got Batman Beyond Universe, number one, which uh, they relaunched. They've been doing digital versions of Batman Beyond and Justice League Beyond uh, for the digital first stuff. They restarted those things with Kyle Higgins, the writer of Nightwing, is writing Batman Beyond. And I believe... uh, christopher christoph christoph gage is writing the justice christos. League book christos gage sorry is writing um justice League beyond and those this is the collection of both of those books in this uh this print version uh batwoman number 23 birds of prey number 23 uh fables number 132 green lantern new guardians number 23 we've got he-man and the masters of the universe number five Um, Justice League Dark number 23 next part of Trinity War Justice League of America Vibe number 7 we've got Legion of Superheroes number 23 which is the final issue Red Hood and the Outlaws number 23 Supergirl number 23 Superman Unchained number 3 Trinity of Sin Pandora number 3 Wonder Woman number 23 Uh, from Dynamite Entertainment Dark Shadows year 1 number 5 Green Hornet Legacy number 40 Jennifer Blood, number 30. Lone Ranger, number seven. Living Corpse Haunted, which is a one-shot. Miss Fury Digital, number one oh, or two. Oh,
3: thank goodness I can't do digital.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Red Sonia, number 80. Red Sonia Unchained, number four. Neither of these are the Gail Simone no. book. Uh, Vampirella, number 32. Uh, from IDW, we've got Dinosaurs Attack, number two of five. Half Past Danger, number two. Uh, sorry that's, that's the second printing yeah. the second printing uh, Judge Dredd number 10 uh, Kiss Kids number 1 nice which Joey is reviewing for our site so look for I that review I saw it on the list and I was like I cannot pass this up <laughs> and, and,
3: and didn't they just buy a football team
2: Did oh they did an arena football league, yeah. uh, team that's yeah. hilarious yeah My Little Pony micro series number 7 Popeye Classic number 13 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles New Animated Adventures number 2 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Villain Micro Series number 5 which is Karai, Uh, we've got, um, and that's it for IDW, the rest are second printings. From Image, Aphrodite9, number four, Bounce, number four, Chin Music, number two, I Love Trouble, number six, Mice Templar 4, Legend, number six, Revival, number 13, um, Thief of Thieves, number 16. Uh, From Marvel, we've got Avengers, number 18, Avengers Assemble, number 18, We've got Cable and X-Force, number 13. Daredevil, number 30, which has the Silver Surfer in it, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, We've got uh, Indestructible Hulk, number 12. Um, We've got Morbius the Living Vampire, number 8. Nova, number 7. Superior Spider-Man, number 16. Thunderbolts, number 14, which is the new creative team. Charles Soule is taking over the writing duties there. Uh, Ultimate Comics, The Ultimate's number 29. Venom number 39, X Factor number 261, X Men number 4, and X Men Legacy number 15. Uh, from Oni Press, we have Sixth Gun number 33. Um, from Titan Publishing, we've got Number Cruncher number 2 of 4, and Solid State Tank Girl number 3 of 4. Uh, Valiant Entertainment, Bloodshot number 0, which is written by Matt Kint, and Exo Man of War number 16. And from Zenoscope, Grim Fairy Tales number 88. And Grim Fairy Dales presents Oz Number Two and Realm Knights Number One of Four. Um, Just so you guys have a a few reminders, uh, our hundredth episode is coming up um, on September twentieth, eight p.m. in Patchogue, New York. Um, If you guys have RSVP'd, you will be receiving an email from me very soon, giving you further details about everything uh, to do do with that event. Um, If you're still considering coming we still have spots open so please rsvp bobby at com. um remember to go to the site at Toncombooks.com. we have a ton of content going up uh great reviews uh great columns uh we have our new video shows uh brood and boarded and uh and comics and coffee which is three times a week uh 9 a.m eastern center time to get and join us live uh with that um we also my brain went blank for a second. Next week is Women in <laughs> Comics, as I mentioned. Uh so we're talking to Kelly Sudakonic, we're talking to Trina Robbins, Emma Rios, uh Andrea Letamendi, um uh Greg Rucca is actually gonna be with us talking about Wonder Woman on this Wonder Woman panel that Bob put together along with Mara. Um and Caroline what's her last name? Coca. coca who is a professor uh at at a university who's written uh, papers uh, on Wonder Woman it, it's a really great discussion really excited for you guys um, to hear that uh, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle Stephanie I'm at Hello Cookie uh, Joey at Joey Braccino
3: and Bob your email Bob Reier at TalkingComicBooks.com uh, and
2: thank you thank you guys so much for the support over the last uh, couple of weeks with the new content we're putting up it, It's it, it means a lot and I'm glad to know that you guys are enjoying what we are giving you um. So that is it for. Let me just
4: quickly say too. Um. I mentioned that there was going to be a lock and key contest. Yes, you did. And the only reason that hasn't come up again yet is I'm looking into getting some additional prizes because <gasps> I wanted to do a little bit more. Because I want. Basically, what I would like to do is have a contest where you come up with, you know, your own key. Um. That's just like a hint that might not happen for sure, but basically, that's a lot of work for you to do. That might not pay off. I I mean, it's a good prize. I think it's a fantastic prize, personally. But I'm looking into maybe a couple more things. So that's the delay. Mm. That contest is still coming. It's just, just, it'll be there soon. (laughs) And if you're at Fan Expo this weekend, come say hi. I will be at Agnes Garboska's booth, mostly, at P12, I think. I think that's her booth. And if not, I'm the one walking around with purple hair.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And goals for hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> Seriously, so great. Oh, man. Uh, Talking Comics brought to you by Gold Girl. It's
4: going to happen. I'm going to cosplay as her. <laughs> All
2: right. So that's it for the Talking Comics podcast. Anybody have anything else they want to bring up <laughs> before I go into the outro of the show? All right. Uh, so that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Bob, Stephanie, And Joey. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.
4: noticeable twitch. it's only noticeable to me it's not like i'm winking at people or anything
2: <laughs> which would be amazing
4: uh, they'd be like did that girl just wink at me like hi although i did that once at this like starbucks this guy was like i don't know my friend pointed it out she's like why'd you just wink at that guy after you were like can i have this i was like i don't know did i she's like you winked at
3: him <laughs> oh it's <laughs> oh. could cause you trouble
4: i know then he told me all about his vacation to Cuba, and I was like, did I just make a friend?
3: <laughs> you
2: made more than a friend.
4: Apparently. I think he was gay, though.
2: All right, so you just made a friend.
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. exciting.
2: It's very exciting.
4: Where do you live,
0: Joey? Uh, I live in Jersey City, New Jersey. Oh. Yeah. You're so close to us,
2: Joey. I know.
0: Wait. Well, Hello? yes That's and no. so close, but... It does
1: take
2: a while to get out to the island. Yeah, but, I mean, you're not, like, s- as far as some people. Yeah, like Ta-da. Canada. Yeah.
4: I'm not that far. Well, you okay. can't just...
2: You can't really... I mean, you could drive here, but it would take a while.
4: I was in upstate New York on the weekend.
2: Yeah, upstate New York far. is not <laughs> even close country to Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we, no, we I was basically, in the same state. We basically, yeah, but
3: New York People is we, they're not like our no hair. They're not ours. We yeah, don't we, count them. We
2: basically call them Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> they're not Canadians.
3: Anything north of Westchester doesn't yeah, really count it doesn't as New doesn't York.
2: Count, yeah. No, don't. It's the it's truth. Horrible. It's the truth, yeah. They probably say, say the same things about us,
3: so I wouldn't. It goes both ways. They live on our taxes.
2: Yeah, they yeah, but they don't care about that. I'm saying, like, you know, personality oh. uh, wise. Um yeah. and don't get me started Wait, like, about New Jersey. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, well.
0: <laughs> the
4: people in upstate New York are like not Canadian. Don't even
2: start with well, me. Well, we know they're not actually Canadian, so. I
4: know. But they have like this like it's so weird. You can tell the difference like when you're like when you're in Canada and then you go there and you're like, "Wow, this is weird." Like there's a distinct difference in Well, stuff. they're
0: Americans. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's that's a difference. Yeah.
4: Even in, like, the housing and stuff, though. Like, you can just tell. Mostly because everything's boarded up and no one lives there, but.
2: <laughs> Talking comics, yeah. strictly anti-upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever way you put oh it. Yeah.
4: Oh, my God. There was this comic shop I passed, and the phone number was 779 X-Men. <laughs> I was great. like, that is the best. But, like, no one else in the car appreciated I was like, guys, this comic shop, 779 X-Men. They're like, Steph, be quiet. I'm like, fine. <laughs>
2: That's really funny.
4: But I'm really upset about the fact that no one else appreciates this. We're like, mm-hmm. like I felt like they were, you know, verbally giving me a pat on the head.
2: <laughs> they, essentially, they were. Come on. They, they kind of were.
4: Yeah. But I've known them since I was like four. I've come to expect these things.
2: I haven't known you nearly that long, and I probably have the same reaction to about 95% <laughs> of the things you say.
4: I know. Oh. I was like, also, don't touch anything in the breakable stores.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Never broken anything except for my own wine glasses. I'm definitely gonna leave all of this in the show, by the way. (laughs) I've been recording this whole time.
4: Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I just said spit jam. (laughs) Some dude was really nice today. He made my day. He was like, You know, there's like holding the door and there's like the polite kind of range. It's like when you have a yellow light and it's you know, you either committed or you stop, right? And yes. he totally didn't have to hold the door open, but he like, held the door open. And then I was like, thank you. And he held the door open again. And then he was like, you just have like such a nice day. Okay. You have a great afternoon. And I was like, thank you. I will. <laughs> it's really nice.
1: Uh, That's
2: did I tell you the story about when I was in subway and there was eat this, fresh? yeah, eat fresh. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's the fancy place where they make the food in front of you. Uh, Why <laughs> Uh it's I was online at Subway and there was like a mother and her her, her daughter in front of me. Um they ordered I ordered and it was it's it was like this little small one that's next to this movie theater we go to. Uh Island 16 now here on Long Island and it doesn't have a lot of tables. So uh, the the little girl must have thought that all the tables were taken. So she so her mother comes up to me and she goes, "Um my daughter wants you to know if if you want to sit with us, you can, because she's worried that you have no place to sit.
1: Oh, oh
2: my goodness. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. I was like, but there's actually another table right here. So I'm okay. She's like, oh, Aww. and I was like,
1: friend. yeah, I
2: know. You should have gone and sat with I know. And I said to the girl, I said, thank you so much. He goes, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, it was just very, very sweet.
4: And then she gives you the finger for turning down the table. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Spits in your sandwich.
0: Yeah, yeah. She was actually luring you into a trap. Yeah. She was planning on eating your face. Yeah. <laughs> well, this isn't is Florida. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good times on Talking Comic. Good times, yeah.
3: indeed. How many, how many other states can we Indeed.
2: Explore?
3: Yeah. And I
2: know we have listeners in Florida, too. So.
4: I don't know anything else about, like, I mean, I've been to several states, but I don't have any stereotypical things I could be like, them.
2: Horrible. I think you, I think you unless you're from a state that state or you're from a state where many people go to live, <laughs> which Florida is a big place for New Yorkers to go and live. I don't think you have m- many that really happens like yeah. deep stereotypes. You
3: know. We have
4: like Newfoundland here. We make fun of Newfies.
3: You call them Newfies? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My father was in the service up there. Yes, that's what you call them.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's
3: <That's, that's> adorable. <laughs>
4: They're adorable. They like <laughs> think they speak English. They're so cute thinking stuff.
2: Making friends all over the world. Talking <laughs> comics. <laughs>
4: talking yeah. comics
2: international. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't even want to I don't even want to play the theme now. I just wanna go.
4: Oh, well my cousin's boyfriend is a newbie and like I went to their baby shower a while back and seriously, they were all newfies and I was like pretty well the only person from like my cousin's side of the family, obviously. And then, like, they all just kept talking, and I didn't understand anything they were saying. Like, they were speaking English, but they are like, oh, real, real, I was like, what the hell is happening? Obviously, that's not their language, but it sounded wow. like that.
2: <laughs> Canadian racism here I'm Talking <laughs> Comics.
4: Anyone who's, like, in Canada will know what I'm talking about. They'll know. They'll know. Well, They'll know. Okay. And even if you're Newfie, you'll probably also be like, yep, we do that.
3: Hmm. Newfie. <laughs> Interesting. No. Interesting. They, they have a hockey team, and they call the hockey team what you would think would be an offensive name. What, the Canucks? The Canucks. it I, mm-hmm. always no. struck me. Really?
4: Newfoundland doesn't have... That's Vancouver Canucks.
3: No, no but it's no,
2: in general for, for no. your... Using the word, yeah. yeah.
4: Oh, I thought you were talking about Newfoundland. I'm like, hmm. No, no, no. I know it's
3: the other end of the country, but... Yeah. Is Canuck a bad word, a pejorative?
4: I don't think so. Okay. Yeah.
3: But Bob, we have a team so. called the Redskins. Well, that is a problem, isn't it?
2: I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Cleveland Indians logo is like, it, it looks like the cover of a propaganda poster.
3: Chief Wahoo. <laughs> yeah. It looks like Hirohito yeah. during the World War II posters.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. we have
4: got so, like adorable things. we have got like the Blue Jays. And then we've got, you know, the Raptors. Yeah, it
2: makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, you, no, there, there are a
3: lot of found a lot oh. of dinosaur fossils yeah. in Canada. La-Crosse That's not why they're you called the got Raptors.
4: Cross Rock, the Toronto Rock.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't know why they're called that. Yeah, I don't know.
2: It's it was to cash in on the popularity yeah. of the dinosaur. That's the only reason why that it was called that. In the wake of Jurassic Park, yes. they made a a, oh. a team name.
4: Don't even go there.
2: It's true. I, shh. It's like the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, <laughs> Which, but the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. That movie was awesome.
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's Jurassic
2: true. Was Park, was Jurassic it? Park? <laughs> um, but they've, they've since, they're since they not called the Mighty Ducks anymore, right? They're just called the Ducks. Oh, oh, they aren't? No, they're not called the Mighty Ducks anymore. I guess
0: my understanding of the Mighty Ducks is from the 1990s, so I, I don't really yeah. keep up. When they
2: used to even have the same logo. They had the logo from the movie on their jerseys <laughs> back then. A
4: bad duck joke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... So, I, I think I. <laughs> this is definitely staying in. I don't know where it's going to be, but it's definitely going to be yeah. in the podcast. Hey,
4: guys, what kind of drugs do ducks do?
2: What kind of
1: drugs do ducks do? <laughs> Quack. Oh.
3: <laughs> uh. You didn't see that one coming. I didn't. Wow. I
1: didn't. <laughs> uh.
2: All right. Well, I think that's the goodest time as any to start the real show. <laughs>